go. Wait for days so we are living life in the night. Pray to God and I hope I don't Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Shipwreck Show. My name is Shipwreck, and I will be your hostess with Mostis. And today we've got a watch party for the Twitter Files Part Dos. So part one talked about all of the censorship of conservatives and everything that happened, and they basically railed all of the Twitter 1.0's employees. Part two today is going to be testimony from Matt Tabibi, Talabibi Tabibi, who is the citizen journalist on YouTube or on um, Twitter that started the Twitter files in the first place. And so he is going to be testifying today. They are calling it the Select Committee on the Weaponization of the Federal Government. And they're going to talk about how Twitter was used to weaponize basically people working for the government. So we're going to see how it goes. We're going to watch it. Good morning, Kit Kat and Heather Young and Alex King and Jack's mom. Raquel. Good morning. It's early. I know. And these are boring. I don't have my Rumble pulled up either. I'm so sorry, Rumble. I don't know if you're even going. Just a second. I'm usually much more ready to go, but these are early. And I am a morning person, but there we go. All right, there we go. I got him. I got Rumble. Rumble, I got you. Good morning. It's good to see you. Thanks for being here. Thanks for being here. Melinda Marin and Susan, good morning. And Megan, good morning. Make sure you smash the like button if you haven't already. And if you were watching this after fact or listening to this after the fact, thank you so much. Thank you for being here. We love your faces. I know, again, this can get long and boring, but it's good to watch things as they happen and in context because a lot of times things can be misconstrued. Um, trying to think of anything. We, I'm watching the J6 stuff. That's kind of all I've been in right now is with the J6 stuff. And so Tucker came out and did another segment last night. They didn't really show any more of the footage. I'm not really sure if we're going to get to see any more of the footage. Again, this is kind of why I wish it would have just been dropped in like a WikiLeaks or like just like the GOP website. Like here it is. Here's all 44,000 hours um, because that way it can't be disputed. People could go and watch what they wanted and then make the decision for themselves because now people are weaponizing Tucker against other people. There is a bunch of text messages that are going around. Uh, about Tucker and how he hates Trump and dead. And really, if you've watched Tucker for any extended period of time, that should come as no surprise. He did not like Trump's style. Um, I know they were pictured together an awful lot and, you know, but he never, he was never like a forever Trumper. So that really shouldn't deter you or shouldn't uh, come as any kind of surprise. He's just never been, he's never been a, a forever Trumper. So Susan, good morning. And just Peach, good morning. Good morning. So we're going to watch this. I don't know how long it's going to take. There's a lot of, of hearings that are going on this week, but I picked the two that I thought were going to be the most important. That is the one today. And then the one we watched yesterday, which was the COVID origins, which was pretty good. Um, I did not know that Fauci had donated $9 million to a bunch of people who agreed to keep the gain of function under wraps um, until yesterday. So that's very interesting. I also did not know that gain of function uh, primarily has never, ever created any kind of, of vaccine or life-saving treatment in any way, shape, or form, because that was the primary argument that I would get when we would talk about gain-of-function and how gain-of-function is basically a bioweapon. Um, people would come in, professional medical professionals, be like, I'm a nurse or I'm a doctor. We need to do it. Even like the, <clears throat> the uh, not the WHO, 
Pfizer, even Pfizer came out and said, well, we do this because everybody does this because this is how we create new vaccines and make sure that we're ahead of the curve. But the reality is, is that that's not the case at all. Like it's never created any kind of um, vaccine or life-saving treatment. And so that was really interesting to find out too. Also, my lights are off. I just realized this. It's early. It's snowing too here. I don't know where it's like where you are, but it is snowing cats and dogs here this morning. Good morning. Good morning. We are here. So I don't know. And then people are like, well, nothing's going to happen. And you might be right. Um, you might be right. But now you know. And now everybody knows. And maybe that's kind of the idea of it. And there was always said, too, that they'll never be able to walk down the street again. And maybe that's the point of all of this, this putting this kind of stuff out there and paying attention to this is so that, you know, and if you ever do see Fauci, you can do what that one lady did and just give him the finger. Do you think anything is going to come out of these? They're showing proof, but there's no arrests yet. I am hoping if you're talking about the J6 stuff or out of these hearings, I don't know about arrests. I'm probably not. Um, the J6 stuff, I do kind of hope that at the very least, those people are released from jail. At the very least. Um, that their lawyers can use that information to get them out. And then maybe they can sue later on down the line. But as far as the hearings, no, probably no arrests. But it's good to know. And... I, I don't know. It's just, it's good to know. I feel like I had this conversation. I think it was with Tex because he kind of felt the same way. Well, what does it matter if Dr. Fauci, you know, if we expose Dr. Fauci any further, he's not going to have any accountability. Maybe, but would you know who Dr. Fauci was if he hadn't led this? Like, I wouldn't know. I also wouldn't know what a piece of shit he was in the past. I wouldn't have known about the AIDS pandemic and I wouldn't have known about the Beagles. Right. And so maybe that's just part of this. Like, I will never, maybe that's, that's the accountability because I will never, 100% lean on big pharma ever again. I will try ulterior alternative things before I go immediately to big pharma with anything. Um, and maybe that's the point. Maybe it's just phasing them out more so than it is accountability or jail time or anything like that. Um, Adi says, Hey guys, there are very few guys left in DC when Kelly left. I think there was a total. Oh, cash left. I don't know. Um, I don't even know. I guess I don't know what that's about it's also a confirmation of the truth. I knew it. Yeah. You know, and you know it for you, which is something, um, obviously, like I said, with the J stick stuff, it's already being spun. I had a couple dudes who stitched my video on TikTok, and they were like, you're just pushing Tucker Carlson propaganda. Listen, I am the one that accuses of propaganda. Okay. Not you. I am the conspiracy theorist. Okay. Me right here. But all of a sudden they're accusing me of pushing propaganda. Dr. Fauci, I remember the TV ads about him talking about the natural immunity versus the flu shot. And maybe that was the point of all this is to get you to start questioning how much you rely on big pharma. At the end of the day, I mean, it's all about our free will. You have the free will. You can either choose to pay attention and to execute or you can choose to walk away and you can't control anybody else and what they decide to do. Um, Jess, oh, cash is a J6 in me. Gotcha. Uh, Janine said, or Jeannie says all the J six prisoners need to be released. I pray they are right wing. I watched the episode with CNN's what's his name guy with the eyes. I can't think of his name now. Um, yesterday 
and that other guy, the the cap, the head of the Capitol Police. Man, that, if it isn't more obvious that that guy is a crisis actor, I found pictures of that guy fucking everywhere, everywhere, doing all kinds of things. And somebody had tied him like he looks an awful like Chris Watts. Does he not, Sonia? Somebody else had put that together too, but I don't know why that would have been a thing. Um, why we would need a narrative where Chris Watts had killed his wife and kids. I don't know what was going on at that time that we needed something, some big distraction like that. So it's possible, but I also know that that house is haunted. And so I kind of doubt it, but I watched a whole thing on that house being haunted, but he looks like Chris Watts. He looks like a lot of people. He looked like one of the cops from George Floyd. Remember that? Yeah. Sonny, you remember what, you went from being a, a yokel yokel PD to a capital cop? No, you didn't. It's all crisis actors. It's all a show. So keep that kind of stuff in mind. I, I don't know what the idea... The only thing I can come up with in regards to it's all a show theory is that this is all about exposure and then what you choose to do with it is what you choose to do with it. And then again, it goes back to free will. Good old Jake Taffer. No, it was um, Anderson Cooper. It was Anderson Cooper. Anderson Cooper sat down with that guy and that guy's like, they're just pushing Tucker Carlson propaganda. Look, I like Tucker because Tucker's entertaining, but I don't go to Tucker Carlson for news. Except for this one time because he was the only one that had access to it. But I, I watched Tucker Carlson because he makes me laugh. But I also understand he's just the other side of the far agendas. And so I don't really go to him a lot for news-like stuff. But uh, I heard he does. They just, I heard they, they did. They sold it. The house, the the Chris Watts house, a family bought it and they went through and they blessed it and they're hoping to, I guess, re you know put love back in the house. They did a whole thing on it. I watched a whole video on it. Um, but the house itself is super fucking haunted, like by the wife and those girls. I watched multiple videos from multiple different people who had done any kind of investigations there. I watched the cop footage. The did you watch that, Sonia? Like the the body cam footage from the cops that were in the house and the little girl, you could hear a little girl laughing in the back. Get the fuck out of here. Listen, the ghosties. God dang. Yeah, it was Anderson Cooper. Uh, my brother-in-law used to be his neighbor. Really? I don't know that whole thing. Like then that got me questioning that whole thing. Like, did it really happen? But the house is haunted. Something happened. Um, I only watched Tucker because he was show all the video of the J6 cut down. Yeah, it was kind of, yeah, he, I don't know. You'll have to look up Chris Watts. Yeah, go look him up and look at him close. And he does. He looks an awful lot like that guy without the neck tattoos. It's very creepy. Very creepy. Where are we at? Are we on yet? We're late. It's 9.06. Am I missing something? Let me make this bigger. Come on, Janet. It's got to feel like the government never be on time for nothing. Never be on time for nothing. We need music. We probably do today. Wait for a day when we all live in life in the night. Um, night driving. Good stuff right there. He was surprised about it. He said he'd talk to him often. I'd be freaked out. 
Yeah, that whole thing. The whole like I watched the whole documentary on it too, and it was kind of weird. But I mean, people are fucking weird, so it's possible. People are people and their demons, and then their closets. They're just some people are just weird. Anything Anderson makes me wonder what the fuck is happening, <laughs> right? You know, anybody else would be running this late. They'd get in some deep trouble. And I still got the pronoun people coming at me on Twitter. People got mad. People got big mad about the pronoun stuff, about the trans stuff. And then yesterday I find out that the National Women's of Courage Award went to a man. It is a man. That is a man who is trying to change the name of the women's conference to include all of the pronouns, the people, the sexes, whatever. It was a man. And Jill Biden's like, here. Are you kidding me right now? Man. But they came. They were like, what are they? Like, they're only, what are they, this one person? A gender neutral non binary. come to order without objection. Oh. The chair is authorized to declare a recess at any time. I would Never ask mind. the gentleman from North Carolina, Mr. Bishop, to lead the committee and those present for the hearing in the Pledge of Allegiance. We don't have sound again. Of the likelihood of a hack and leak operation in the run up to that presidential election. He did it even though there was no evidence. In fact, he said in his deposition that we hadn't seen anything, no intrusions, no hack. Yet he repeatedly told him something was coming. Joel Roth. Head of trust and safety at Twitter testified that he had had regular meetings with the Office of the Director of National Intelligence, the Department of Homeland Security, the FBI, and other folks regarding election security. During these weekly meetings, federal law enforcement agencies communicated that they expected a hack and leak operation. The expectations of a hack and leak operation were discussed throughout 2020. And he was told they would occur in a period shortly before the 2020 presidential election, likely in October. And finally, he said, I also learned in these meetings that there were rumors that a hack and leak operation would involve Hunter Biden. So what did the government tell him? A hack and leak operation was coming. How often did the government tell him this? Repeatedly for a year. When did the government say it was going to happen? October of 2020. And who did the government say it would involve? Hunter Biden. Now think about it. Government had no evidence of any intrusions, no evidence of a hack and leak, yet for a year they tell Twitter that a hack and leak is coming, it's coming in October, and it will involve Hunter Biden. No evidence, but the FBI knows what's going to happen, when it's going to happen, and who it's going to involve. Now that's amazing. That is amazing to me. Maybe, I mean, maybe they get the time right. We're kind of used to October surprises every four years. So maybe they get the time right. 
but they got the time, they got the method, and they got the person. That's amazing. It's almost like these guys were clairvoyant. How did they know? How did they know? Maybe it's because they had the laptop and they had had it for a year. They had the laptop. They knew it wasn't hacked, but that's not what they told Twitter. They didn't tell Twitter that information. And Twitter believed, frankly, everything they said. In those weekly meetings, the FBI had built a cozy relationship with this tech company and others as well, we believe. Emails between the FBI and Twitter began with the greeting. Hey, Twitter folks. Emails that asked Twitter to take down accounts and limit visibility of tweets. FBI handed out security clearance to folks at Twitter. They communicated with Twitter on the secret teleporter app where messages disappear after a certain length of time. And of course, they paid Twitter $3.4 million. In addition, on August 6, 2020, the FBI briefed Senators Grassley and Johnson and according to the center's testimony, last month in front of this committee, the briefing was bogus and done so someone could go leak that the briefing had happened and undermine the senator's investigation. In September of 2020, a government-funded think tank gets involved. They do a tabletop exercise. The participants include the New York Times, the Washington Post, and other mainstream media outlets. Facebook is there. Mr. Roth of Twitter is there. The organizer was the former CEO of NPR and the former head of news at Twitter. The mock exercise is hosted by the Aspen Institute. The Aspen Institute, which by the way, in 2020, their budget was $9.3 million. $5 million from the State Department, $4 million from USAID. Almost all their budget. Guess the title. Guess the title of this exercise. The Aspen Digital Hack and Dump Working Group. And guess who the subject was? Guess who the subject was? Hunter Biden. That's amazing. October 14, 2020, the New York Post runs the story on the Biden laptop and Twitter takes it down, even though it was accurate and even though it didn't violate Twitter's rules of Twitter's rules. Other social media uh, companies do the same. Mainstream press works to downplay and discredit the story. Finally, as if on cue, Five days later, on October 19th, 51 former Intel officials signed a letter with the now famous sentence, the Biden laptop story has all the classic earmarks of a Russian information operation. Something that was absolutely false. Our government built a cozy relationship with big tech. They primed him for a hack and leak operation. They funded the think tank, which further primed big tech and big media. They leaked information to undermine the good work of two United States senators, and then 51 former Intel officials closed the deal with their letter. As Mr. Schellenberger pointed out in his reporting, the information op was run on us, run on we the people. And if that's not the weaponization of government, I don't know what is. And I really, I'll get to this in a second, but I wanna thank our, our witnesses for being here today. I'll get to this after we allow uh, the ranking member, her opening statement. I yield to the ranking member for an opening statement. Thank you. Before uh, my opening statement, um, Mr. Chairman, as a point of order, it's been my understanding that one of the witnesses has, within the last half an hour, released additional information that the Republicans may, and you as the majority, may have been able to review and have uh, information about. And if that information is, in fact, going to be used at this hearing, 
just want the point of order to be recognized that uh, the Democrats have not been able to review or to see any of that information. Will, be you, will you be using any of the information that uh, has recently been released by... Excuse me? Will you be using any of that information? We'll be using whatever information our staff has put together for us to use at this hearing. And, and have you, you've you had that information before this hearing began, um, before today? We, we, we use all information that, that is given to our staff and we will use it to make sure we educate and the American people. And information that you have not shared with us? Oh, we think it was posted online. The, the in within a half, just this half an hour, the last twenty minutes. But it's not information. Wait, do you want us to get to us? You want us that. to get you a copy of it because we can make a. Copy I think we for can you. go online and find a copy. We can look on our Twitter accounts and see it. But I just want the point of order that you have not shared any of that with us, and I understand that well, you may have been looking at this long before today's hearing. We obtained it at the same time frame. Excuse that me, was before online. before we continue, I, is one of your colleagues trying to speak to me? Or I think this was a conversation between you and me. I was speaking no, to the a parliamentarian, if you don't mind. Oh, okay. It's the gentlelady's time. Okay. All right. Well, I, mean, um, I recognize you for an opening statement. And I had a point of order, which I was I asking your, you to address. I answered your question. Okay, great. Um, now I'll begin my point, my opening statements. Three weeks ago, House Oversight had this hearing with actual Twitter executives who had actual firsthand knowledge about what happened in 2020. And that didn't go so well for the House Republicans because real evidence showed that there wasn't coordination between Twitter and the federal government as they'd like the American people to believe. And that all the so-called Twitter files really showed was a discussion on content moderation and that we only got a fraction of the discussion. So now we're back again, no surprise. What else have they got to talk about? Not what's interested in the American people are interested, not what taxpayer dollars have brought us here to Washington to do. And the Republicans have brought in two of Elon Musk's public scribes to release cherry-picked, out-of-context emails and screenshots designed to promote his chosen narrative, Elon Musk's chosen narrative that is now being parroted by the Republicans because the Republicans think that these witnesses will tell a story that's gonna help them out politically. On Tuesday, the majority released an 18-page report claiming to show that the FTC is, quote, harassing Twitter, oh my, poor Twitter, including by seeking information about its interactions with individuals before us today. How did the report reach this conclusion? By showing two, one, two single paragraphs from a single demand letter even though the report itself makes clear that there were numerous demand letters with numerous requests, none of which we've been able to see, that are more demand letters and more requests of Twitter. In other words, the conclusions are based on a fraction of information out of context, cherry-picked, surprise, just like the Twitter files. The majority conveniently forgot to share with the public that in May of 2022, well before Musk acquired Twitter, the FTC had already fined the company 150 million for failing to safeguard data, users' data, users, the American people, other individuals, its 150 million users, Twitter had not safeguarded them. Twitter entered into this consent agreement that required it to make regular reports to the FTC 
and that previous consent decree between Twitter and the FTC was entered into in 2011. Elon Musk might not like this requirement, but Twitter had issues with FTC long before Musk bought the company, and there's nothing political about that. We've asked for the full set of documents that Musk must have shared with the Republicans on the committee, but we can draw some logical conclusions from what we have been given. You know what the Republican report actually shows? Two conclusions. First, the FTC has extraordinarily serious concerns about Twitter's handling of consumers' data, and that there's something going on between congressional Republicans and Elon Musk. Mr. Chairman, Americans can see through this. Musk is helping you out politically, and you're going out of your way to promote and protect him and to praise him for his work. This isn't just a matter of what data was given to these so-called journalists before us now. There are many legitimate questions about where Musk got the financing to buy Twitter. We know for a fact that foreign countries like Qatar, Saudi Arabia, and possibly even Russia and China are investors presently Russia. in Twitter. Yeah. Do these countries now have access to private Twitter user data? What agreements has Elon Musk reached with them? We know how Elon Musk funded the purchase because it's public. Let's look at a slide here. Here's what it shows. Musk got $500 million in financing from Beyonce. That's in highlight for you. A crypto exchange platform run by Chinese billionaire. That billionaire has described his funding as a small contribution to the cause. I don't know what that cause is. Musk got $1 billion from Larry Ellison, whose super PAC spent millions on Republican candidates last cycle, including election deniers. Musk got $375 million, highlighted here, from Qatar, which has recently been questioned about its lobbying practices. Musk got $700 million from Vi Capital, a secretive investment fund based in Dubai. And more, very interesting, as you can see down below, the nephew of the Saudi king is Twitter's second largest investor at a, a much larger amount. And the chair wants us to think that Elon Musk is the victim. The chairman wants us to believe that the Republicans are concerned with the federal government unfairly going after Twitter and Twitter unfairly taking down conservative posts. Just like we did several weeks ago, we're going to show that's not what the evidence shows. I want to underscore the very real threat posed by Twitter files and by the witnesses in front of us today. Here's a guy in the back on his phone Roth describing the harassment he and or other sleeping. former Twitter employees have faced He's because sleeping. of the irresponsible way in which the witnesses in front of us and others have released this cherry picked out of context data. Twitter, employees as far away as Manila in the Philippines. The Twitter files, I would note first and foremost, didn't just affect me, but affected much more junior employees at Twitter. Employees as far away as Manila in the Philippines. You're off. Had their families threatened and experienced harm equal to or, or greater than what I've experienced. But concurrent with the Twitter files, Elon Musk also made the decision to share a defamatory allegation that I support or condone pedophilia. And this lie led directly to a wave of homophobic and anti-Semitic 
threats and harassment <laughs> it was his tweets little that he wrote the daily mail's decision to publish where i live ultimately i had to leave my home and sell it those are the consequences for this type of online harassment and speech thank you mr chairman i'm not exaggerating when when i say that you have called before you two witnesses who pose a direct threat to people who oppose them. It's funny when people have to go through that. Exactly. This is unacceptable. I'm ready for it. I don't know if a lot of other people are, but just as it was unacceptable for Kevin McCarthy to provide 41,000 hours of sensitive security footage to a biased talking head in there an effort is. to rewrite what happened Jesus. on January 6th. Oh, this is sake. a new Republican playbook, apparently. Mr. Risk Chairman. American safety and security to on. score political points. The gentlelady's we, word should be struck. We do not accuse witnesses of threatening others. That is out of line and I'm outside the rules of this down committee. That, and I can have an you don't get to determine what's what struck down. Well, you, do, you, you do get an opening statement, and it, it's and about, so let it's me about over. We know this is because at the first hearing, the chairman claimed that big government and big tech colluded to shape and mold the narrative and suppress information and censor Americans. This is a false narrative. We're engaging in false narratives here, and we are going to tell the truth. I yield back. Gentlelady uh, yields back. I would just point out the consent decree was in our report. We offered your staff also the opportunity to review the FTC letters. You have not come over to review those letters. Third, the idea that I believe both of these individuals who are getting ready to testify, I believe they're both Democrats. The idea that two journalists who Did happen to be Democrats- Did you not give Democrats, that offer you know, at 8 o'clock last night? Now. Your time was- rec uh, was, uh, But I mean, neither of us are in time. So I don't think go. they're here to help us politically. I think they're here to tell us the truth. And oh, by the way, the first FTC letter to Twitter after the first set of Twitter files, the very first question was who are the journalists you're talking to? And you guys don't care. You don't care. You, you, don't, care want about the, the you don't want the American people to see, decree? you don't want the American people to see what happened, the full video, transparency. You don't want that. And you don't want two journalists who have been named personally by the Biden administration, FTC, in a letter. The Biden administration. And you're saying is they're not here the to help FTC. us. They're here to tell their story. And frankly, I think they're brave individuals for being willing to come after they've been named in a letter from the Biden FTC. Is this your question, Tom? Now, no, I'm responding to your ridiculous oh. statements you made in your in your opening statement. Okay, well, let's get on with it. Oh, now we want to get on with it. So you I can did. say all the things you want. I, I did in my facts. opening statement as well as you had an opening statement. You said what you needed to say in your opening statement. And I, as the ranking member, have Without used objection, my time. Without objection, all other opening statements will be included in the record. We will introduce today's witness, Matt Taibbi. And I'm a journalist here and author. He's one of the authors of the Twitter files, previously worked for Rolling Stone, that right-wing publication, Rolling Stone, where so many Republicans work at. He's also written several books about American politics and culture. And of course, as I pointed out, as the Wall Street Journal pointed out yesterday on the front page, was named by the FTC. Oh, I wouldn't go that far. Michael Schellenberger. But good on He's also a journalist, <laughs> author, and one of the authors of the Twitter files. He's also co-founded several nonprofits, including Breakthrough Institute, Environmental Progress, and the California Peace Coalition, another right-wing Republican organization, I'm sure. His I work often focuses on like. crime and drug policy, homelessness, and the climate. 
we welcome our witnesses and thank them for appearing today. We will begin by swearing you in. Would you please stand and raise your right hand? Do you swear or affirm under penalty of perjury that the testimony you're about to give is true and correct to the best of your knowledge, information, and belief, so help you God? Let the record show both witnesses have answered in the affirmative. Um, thank you and be seated, please. Um, we will now start with Mr. Taibbi. You guys, I think, understand the... Do you want to go with Mr. Schellenberg? We can go with Mr. Schellenberg. We'll start with Mr. Schellenberger. Uh, you understand how it works. You get five minutes. Make sure you hit the microphone so we can all hear. Uh, when it gets to yellow, it means just like you would expect time to start winding up. And when it gets to red, it's time to stop. But we'll be a little bit leaning on the time. Uh, Mr. Schellenberger, you are recognized for your opening statement. Chairman Jordan, Ranking Member Plaskett, members of the committee, thank you very much for inviting my testimony. In his 1961 farewell address, President Dwight Eisenhower like warned like, of, quote, the acquisition of unwarranted influence by the military-industrial complex. Eisenhower feared that the size and power of the complex, or cluster, of government contractors and the Defense Department would, quote, endanger like our head. liberties or democratic processes. How did he mean that? Mr. Schellenberger. Through, quote, domination of the nation's scholars by federal employment, project allocations, and the power of money. He feared public policy would become the captive of a scientific technological elite. Eisenhower's fears were well-founded. Today, American taxpayers are unwittingly financing the growth and power of a censorship industrial complex run by America's scientific and technological elite, which endangers our liberties and democracy. I'm grateful for this opportunity to offer this testimony and sound the alarm over the shocking and disturbing emergence of state-sponsored censorship in the United States of America. The Twitter files, state attorneys general lawsuits, and investigative reporters have revealed a large and growing network of government agencies, academic institutions, and non-governmental organizations that are actively censoring American citizens, often without their knowledge, on a range of issues. I do not know how much of the censorship is coordinated beyond what we have been able to document, and I will not speculate. I recognize that the law allows Facebook, Twitter, and other private companies to moderate content on their platforms. And I support the right of governments to communicate with the public, including to dispute inaccurate information. But government officials have been caught repeatedly pushing social media platforms to censor disfavored users and content. Often these acts of censorship threaten the legal protection social media companies need to exist, Section 230. If government officials are directing or facilitating such censorship, Notes one law professor, it raises serious First Amendment questions. It is axiomatic that the government cannot do indirectly what it is prohibited from doing directly. Moreover, we know that the U.S. government has funded organizations that pressure advertisers to boycott news media organizations and social media platforms that refuse to censor and or spread disinformation, including alleged conspiracy theories. The Stanford Internet Observatory, the University of Washington, the Atlantic Council's Digital Forensic Research Lab and Graphica have all inadequately disclosed ties to the Department of Defense, the CIA, and other intelligence agencies. They work with multiple U.S. government agencies to institutionalize censorship research and advocacy within dozens of other universities and think tanks. It is important to understand how these groups function. They are not publicly engaging with their opponents in an open exchange of ideas. They aren't asking for a national debate over the limits of the First Amendment. Rather, they are creating blacklists of disfavored people and then pressuring, cajoling, and demanding that social media platforms censor, deamplify, and even ban the people on those lists. 
The censorship industrial complex combines established methods of psychological manipulation, some developed by the U.S. military during the global war on terror, with highly sophisticated tools from computer science, including artificial intelligence. The complex's leaders are driven by the fear that the internet and social media platforms empower populist, alternative, and fringe personalities and views, which they regard as destabilizing. Federal government officials, agencies, and contractors have gone from fighting ISIS recruiters and Russian bots to censoring and deplatforming ordinary Americans and disfavored public figures. Importantly, the bar for bringing in military-grade government monitoring and speech countering techniques has moved from, quote, countering terrorism to, quote, countering extremism to countering simple misinformation, otherwise known as being wrong on the internet. The government no longer needs a predicate of calling you a terrorist or an extremist to deploy government resources to counter your political activity. The only predicate it needs is simply the assertion that the opinion you expressed on social media is wrong. These efforts extend to influencing and even directing conventional news media organizations. Since 1971, when the Washington Post and New York Times elected to publish classified Pentagon papers about the war in Vietnam, journalists have understood that we have a professional obligation to report on leaked documents whose contents are in the public interest. And yet in 2020, the Aspen Institute and Stanford Cyber Policy Center urged journalists to, quote, break the Pentagon Papers principle and not cover leaked, leaked information to prevent the spread of disinformation. Government-funded censors frequently invoke the prevention of real-world harm to justify their demands for censorship, but the censors define, farm, define harm far more expansively than the Supreme Court does. Increasingly, the censors say their goal is to restrict information that delegitimizes governmental, industrial, and news media organizations. That mandate is so sweeping that it could easily censor criticism from any part of the status quo, from elected officials to institutions to laws. Congress should immediately cut off funding to the censors and investigate their activities. It should mandate instant reporting of all conversations between social media executives, government employees, and government contractors concerning content moderation. And finally, Congress should limit the broad permission given to social media platforms to censor, deplatform, and spread propaganda. Thank you very much. I thank the gentleman for his uh, opening statement. Mr. Taibbi, you're now recognized for five minutes. Hit that, hit that, hit Matt, uh, Mr. Tybee, hit that. Um, uh. Chairman Jordan, Ranking Member Plaskett, members of the Select Committee, thank you for having me today. My name is Matt Taibbi. I've been a reporter Sorry, for 30 years uh, and a staunch advocate of the First Amendment. He's a whole. Much of that time was spent at Rolling Stone magazine. Uh, Ranking Member Plaskett, um, I'm not a so-called journalist. Uh, I've won the National Magazine Award, the IF Stone Award for Independent Journalism, and I've written 10 books including four New York Times, New York Times bestsellers. <laughs> uh, I'm now the editor of the online magazine Racket on the independent platform Substack. I'm here today because of a series of events that began late last year when I received a note from a source online. It read, are you interested in doing a deep dive into what censorship and manipulation was going on at Twitter? A week later, the first of what became known as the Twitter Files reports came out. To say these attracted intense public interest would be an understatement. My computer looked like a Vegas slot machine uh, as the, just the first He's tweet about the blockage of the Hunter Biden laptop story registered really 143 million impressions and 30 million engagements. But it wasn't until a week after the first report, after Michael Schellenberger, Barry Weiss, and other researchers joined the search of the files, that we started to grasp the significance of this story. The original promise of the internet was that it might democratize the exchange of information globally. 
A free internet would overwhelm all attempts to control information flow. Its very existence a threat to anti-democratic forms of government everywhere. What we found in the files was a sweeping effort to reverse that promise and use machine learning and other tools to turn the internet into an instrument of censorship and social control. Unfortunately, our own government appears to be playing a lead role. We saw the first hints in communications between Twitter executives before the 2020 election, when we read things like flagged by DHS or please see attached report from FBI for potential misinformation. This would be attached to an Excel spreadsheet with a long list of names whose accounts were often suspended shortly after. Again, Ranking Member Plaskett, I would note that the evidence of Twitter government relationship includes lists of tens of thousands of names on both the left and right. The people affected include Trump supporters, but also left-leaning sites like Consortium no. and Truthout, the leftist South American channel Telesur, the Yellow Vest movement. That, in fact, is a key point of the Twitter files, that it's neither a left nor right issue. Following the trail of communications between Twitter and the federal government across Tens of thousands of emails led to a series of revelations. Mr. Chairman, we summarized and submitted them to the committee in the form good. of a new Twitter file thread, which was also released to the ready. public this morning. We learned Twitter, <laughs> Facebook, Google, and other companies developed a formal system for taking in moderation requests from every corner of government, from the FBI, the DHS, the HHS, DOD, the Global Engagement Center at State, even the CIA. <clears throat> For every government agency scanning Twitter, there were perhaps 20 quasi-private entities doing the same thing, including Stanford's Election Integrity Partnership, NewsGuard, the Global Disinformation Index, and many others, many taxpayer-funded. A focus of this fast-growing network, as Mike noted, is making lists of people whose opinions, beliefs, associations, or sympathies are deemed misinformation, disinformation, or malinformation. That last term is just a euphemism for true but inconvenient. Undeniably, the making of such lists is a form of digital McCarthyism. Ordinary Americans are not just being reported to Twitter for deamplification or deplatforming, but the firms like PayPal, digital advertisers like Xander, and crowdfunding sites like GoFundMe. These companies can and do refuse service to law-abiding people and and businesses whose only crime is falling afoul of a distant, faceless, unaccountable, algorithmic judge. As someone who grew up a traditional ACLU liberal, this mechanism for punishment and deprivation without due process is horrifying. Another troubling aspect is the role of the press, which should be the people's last line of defense in such cases. But instead of investigating these groups, Journalists partnered with them. If Twitter declined to remove an account right away, government agencies and NGOs would call reporters for the New York Times, Washington Post, and other outlets, who in turn would call Twitter, demanding to know why action had not yet been taken. Effectively, news media became an arm of a state-sponsored thought policing system. I'm running out of time, so I'll just sum up and say, um, it's just not possible to instantly arrive at truth. It is, it is however, possible becoming uh, technologically uh, possible to instantly define and enforce a political consensus online, which I believe is what we're looking at. This is a grave threat a to people of all political persuasions. Uh, the First Amendment, an American population accustomed to the right to speak, is the best defense left against the censorship industrial complex. 
If the latter can knock over our first and most important constitutional guarantee, these groups will have no serious opponent left anywhere. If there's anything the Twitter files show, it's that we're in danger of losing this most precious right without which all democratic rights are impossible. Thank you for the opportunity to appear and I'd be happy to answer any questions from the committee. Thank you, um, Mr. Uh, Taibbi. We appreciate both of your opening statements. I now recognize the gentleman from Louisiana, Mr. Johnson, for five minutes of questions. Gentlemen, <clears throat> thank you both for being here. It is uh, not surprising that the minority is already attacking you in its opening statement. We apologize to both of you. You shouldn't be treated that way. Some of the defenders of big tech and the Biden administration, as we know, have worked very hard to cast doubts on well, the legitimacy of your reporting, and some have gone so far to state it's irrelevant if Twitter was suppressing speech in coordination with the federal government. Uh, but this morning, we saw a stunning display of their attack of your character. We shouldn't be surprised. This is what the defenders of big government corruption do. This is the playbook. They destroy the messenger. We just saw it here on live television, and everybody can see it for themselves. We're and the whistleblowers, of course, as well. Look, this is what we know. What you've documented carefully in the Twitter files are a couple of key facts. You'll hear, people will hear a lot of things today, but this is what they need to know. The federal government, from Democrat members of Congress to intelligence agencies, including the FBI, used Twitter and other social media companies to censor Americans' speech. If the alarm bells are not going off, then you're not paying attention. Over the past three years, documents show, they prove what you guys have, have uncovered here. Is there's communication between Twitter and the FBI. It was constant. It was pervasive. Twitter was basically an FBI subsidiary before Elon Musk took it over. The Twitter files revealed that by 2020, Twitter was engaged in open information sharing with the intelligence community. And now we know there were many intelligence agencies apparently involved in this. The FBI pressured Twitter to act on election-related tweets leading up to the 2022 election. Of course, they did it in 2020 as well. And Twitter dutifully censored content as a result. In Rumble. Twitter executives restricted accounts. They censored speech that conflicted with the less narrative. Twitter has used its internal tools to control and manipulate uh, considered speech considered misinformation. And who was determining that? It was the government bureaucrats. Documents show that Twitter used visibility filtering to restrict certain accounts and posts and removed people from the platform altogether. The Twitter files should be a matter of bipartisan concern for every member of Congress and every American citizen because it is a bedrock principle of our constitutional system that the government does not get to decide what speech is acceptable or true. Under the First Amendment, Americans have a right to speak freely regardless of whether their speech upsets the preferred narrative. In fact, that's when it needs the most vigorous protection Everybody on the left used to believe in that, or at least they purported to. Government and media fact checkers frequently get things wrong. The American people can't and shouldn't rely on so-called experts to be the arbiters of truth, disinformation boards and the like. It doesn't matter what political party you're, you're in, government should not suppress important debates in public discourse. Gentlemen, uh, let me start with Mr. Taibbi. Uh, you have a long award-winning journalist uh, career. You've just highlighted here decades of experience reporting on some of the most conflict, uh, complex and important issues of our time. Where do you rate your reporting on the Twitter files among your whole body of work throughout your career? How, how serious is this? Um, well, first of all, Mr. Congressman, thank you for the question. Uh, I would say, you know, I spent 10 years covering the it aftermath of the Hi, 2008 financial crisis. Uh, that was obviously a very serious issue, but um, this Twitter file story and what we're looking at now and what we're investigating now um, I don't think there's any comparison. This is by far the most serious thing um, that I've ever looked at. And it's, it's certainly the most grave story that I've ever worked on personally. 
I want to ask you both the same question, and that is, first of all, has anyone from the federal government contacted you during the course of this investigation or since you've reported on Twitter files? And number two, who do you think are the most egregious federal government agencies involved in this censorship exercise? Let me start with Mr. Schellenberger. Uh, I have not been contacted by uh, Thank you, Congressman. I have not been contacted by anybody in the Biden administration relating to this topic. And I would like to echo uh, what Matt just said. Uh, this is... I've never worked on an issue where so frequently while doing it, I just had chills go up my spine because of what I was seeing happening. I never thought in my own country that freedom of speech would be threatened in this way. And it's just frightening when you get much. into it. Um, the most recent, uh, our, our most recent discoveries, I mean, I think you understand the process is that we first raised a bunch of concerns around the way Twitter pre Elon Musk was uh, censoring people and creating blacklists. Very quickly, we discovered that we had FBI agents uh, basically and go other government officials, you know, demanding that Twitter take certain actions. We now know that the Department of Homeland Services, uh, which has uh, had, what's that? Security. Security, sorry. <laughs> Department of Homeland Security, uh, you know, had had to try, try to create a disinformation board. Uh, that went away after public backlash, but we now realize that they have this other enterprise and they've been building out basically mechanisms to proliferate a censorship industrial complex around the country to censor on a whole range of issues. And so you've seen them, you've seen this censorship industry go from, well, we're just fighting ISIS to, well, we're just fighting Russian disinformation bots to, well, now we need to fight domestic misinformation, which is just saying we need to fight against people who are saying things we disagree with online. That's all that means. And I, I mean, it's not a slippery slope. It's an immediate leap into a, a terrifying mechanism that I, we only see in totalitarian societies of attempting to gain control over what the social media platforms are, allow, are allowing. And so, um, yeah, for me, it's just, it starts at DHS, but we basically see um, almost every government agency involved in this. It's frightening. I'm out of time. I yield back. Uh, gentlemen uh, from Massachusetts, Mr. Lynch is recognized. Thank you, Mr. Chairman. I do need to correct the record. Uh, so there's been the suggestion here that uh, the FBI and other government agencies uh, pressured employees at Twitter uh, to uh, validate these theories of foreign influence. Uh, when we had Mr. Roth, who was uh, Yoel Roth, who's the former global head of trust and safety at Twitter. So we asked Twitter, uh, if there was uh, pressure applied. And Mr. Roth said, no, I would not agree with that. The FBI, this is his quote, the FBI was quite careful and quite consistent to request review of the accounts, but not to cross the line into advocating for Twitter to take any particular action. So, so that's what Twitter said about the actions of the FBI uh, visa the Twitter. Uh, Mr. Taibbi, <clears throat> in 2019, uh, Special Counsel Robert Mueller unequivocally found that the Internet Research Agency, owned by Yevgeny Prigozhin, the same oligarch who runs uh, the Wagner Group, carried out an extensive social media dis disinformation campaign to help then-candidate Donald Trump 
and to hurt Hillary Clinton. He also found that the Russian intelligence interfered with the 2016 election via a hack and release campaign damaging to the Clinton campaign. Uh, these, these particular findings came on the heels of the unanimous assessment on the part of the United States 18 intelligence agencies that Russian President Putin, quote, ordered an influence campaign in 2016 aimed at the presidential election, close quote. They also followed the release of a bipartisan Senate Intelligence Committee report finding that Russia and Vladimir Putin engaged in, I quote, aggressive multifaceted effort to influence the U.S. president election. So, Mr. Taibbi, do you believe, do you believe that the Russians and their oligarch-controlled internet research agency interfered in the 2016 election via this <clears throat> social media disinformation campaign? Do you believe that? Mr. Congressman, my disagreement with the issue well, is... I think this is a, this is basically a yes or no question. Either you think so or you don't, and I don't have a lot of time, so... Okay, well then I'm, I'm going to answer not in the sense that you, uh, that you're putting it. Okay. Um, I think okay. all countries all right. engage in off offensive in information you, operations. The you, question is scale. And, you believe and, that and the Russia Twitter files in were... hacking, reclaiming my time. That's how it works now. I'll ask the questions and you try to provide an answer if you can. Um, you have to allow him to answer. Do you sir. believe? The gentleman is out of order and should not be interrupting a member asking a question on our you, side, Mr. Chairman. Reclaiming my time from everyone, uh, do you believe that Russia engaged in a hack and release campaign damaging to the Clinton campaign uh, back in 2016? Again, uh, just I don't know. And, and I, would, I would say it's okay. irrelevant. Right, let me ask Mr. Schellenbeck. Uh, these are pretty easy questions. That's just whether you believe it or not. Uh, Mr. Schellenbeck, same question. Do you believe that the Russian oligarch-controlled internet research agency interfered in the 2016 election? I think that they tried to. Okay, fair enough. Uh, Mr. Schellenbeck, do you believe that the Russians engaged in a hack and release campaign with respect to the uh, damaging information they released uh, regarding the Clinton campaign? To the best of my awareness, that is what happened. Okay, yes. fair enough. Thank you. Uh, That's not so the same thing. The reason influence. I understand. I understand. Yeah. Also, that material was true. Yeah. I've been look. Uh, I let me introduce a couple of documents uh, just to reinforce uh, that we've got. Uh, a that, is, that is not a legitimate predicate for censorship. Unanimous reclaiming my time. Sure. Gentleman's out of order. So. Mr. Chairman, I'll ask unanimous consent to enter the indictment in the United States versus the Internet Research Agency, U.S. District Court of the District of Columbia, Nothing. number 118 Matt TV doesn't even work at Twitter. I also asked to enter into the record the executive summary to volume one of the Mueller report, which states in March 2016, the GRU uh, began Everything hacking is. the Russian agency, began hacking the email accounts of the Clinton campaign, volunteers and employees, including campaign chairman John Podesta, GRU later released additional materials through the organization WikiLeaks. The presidential of campaign of Donald Trump showed interest in WikiLeaks releases of the documents and welcomed their potential damage to without candidate Clinton. Pizza game. So I've introduced without, these document, documents. Without objection. 
Thank you, Mr. Chairman. Uh, I've introduced these documents because it's clear that Russia's use of social media to interfere in the 2016 election created abundant Gentlemen's time reason. Is, abundant reason. Okay. We, I think for social media platforms to be concerned. Gentlemen's time has expired. Uh, without objection, these uh, documents are entered into the record. We now recognize a gentleman from California, Mr. Issa, for five minutes. Hey, Mr. Chairman. Uh, I'd like to continue along, in a sense, the line we've been on just now. Mr. Taibbi, uh, Mr. Schellenberger, I'll ask both of you. Is it fair to say Russia is a bad actor who is trying to do everything they can to undermine confidence in the United States government and in our form of democracy? I think that's a fair statement, yes. Okay, are you familiar with the organization uh, in Europe, the Global uh, Engagement Center? Yes. Well, it's, a, it's, a it's, it's an American State Department. I'm sorry, but are you familiar with Actually, the global engagement Honorable, centers? You don't tell me to shut up in my own stream. European and other you sources this one out. to uh, uh, to in fact determine the where Twitter files should or shouldn't be, uh, if you will, taken down thousands of names and, and Twitter files. Correct. I'm not sure um, that. Global Engagement Center is, is uh, taking down Twitter files. I, I actually wasn't aware of that. I'm sorry. Well, Twitter and the FBI have used this this organization and their funding. Well, let, let me let me go on to another another stay on stay on the path I was on. Uh, you you commented that the the scale mattered. Okay, would you elaborate on scale mattering uh, in the attempt to? Uh, undermine free speech absolutely so a great example of this is a report um that the global engagement center sent to twitter um and to members of the media and other platforms about what they called the pillars of russian disinformation now part of this report is what you would call i think you would call traditional hardcore uh intelligence gathering where they made a reason evidence-based case that certain sites were uh, linked to Russian influence or linked to the Russian government. In addition to that, however, they, they also said that sites that, quote, generate their own momentum and have opinions that are in line with those accounts are part of a propaganda ecosystem. Now, this is just another word for guilt by association. And this is the problem with the whole idea of trying to inter, uh, identify uh, which which accounts are actually the Internet Russian uh, Internet Research Agency, and which ones are just people who followed those accounts or retweeted them? Twitter initially did not find more than a handful of IRA accounts. It wasn't until they got into an argument with the Senate Select Intelligence Committee that they came back with a different answer. Okay, so scale matters, but let me go through a couple of quick questions that I, I think are part of the reason that we have this Select Committee. Uh, he is absolutely deflecting. This country has political parties and people from the, what one might call the extreme left and extreme right. Uh, and even Congress has people that might be considered outside the main street of Republican and Democratic thinking. Those people speak regularly and they have since our founding. Is that correct? Yes. And the ACLU and journalists almost always support their right to say what they believe, even if you disagree. Absolutely. And our constitution says we will make no law to restrain exactly that kind of free speech. Yes. And that includes people who promote 
the idea that we should redistribute all wealth uh, in a communist type way. As a matter of fact, we still have a communist party in the United States. Isn't that correct? It is. Okay, so the limit of free speech historically has been incitement to violence or anarchy, the actual overthrow of a government. Anything other than that is historically covered by the First Amendment. Yes. So when we look at the very nature of these, the State Department we'll see funding later, to affect domestic U.S. speech, was that speech outside the legal bounds? Did it call for insurrection or other criminal activities that would destroy our government? No, I mean, we did not. I mean, I'm not say, we're not saying that that didn't happen, but we're describing people having political arguments online. Right, so let me just, uh, because I, my time's limited like everyone's. So it suffice to say that the every bit of the speech or virtually every bit of the speech, whether foreign or domestic uh, online, fell within the normal protections of the First Amendment and the very act of federal dollars being used to stifle that speech is in fact, historically, what we would consider an indictment against the First Amendment protections. Correct. That is why we have this subcommittee. That is why we are here today. Thank you. I think the gentleman, and a great point, and now recognize the gentlelady from Florida. Yeah, if you could smash the like button, I'd appreciate it. And the rumble button. Thank you, Mr. Chairman. Mr. Taibbi, I, I want to ask about journalistic ethics and information sources. The Society of Professional Journalists Code of Ethics asserts that journalists should avoid political activities that can compromise integrity or credibility. Being a Republican witness today certainly casts a cloud over your object objectivity. But a deeper concern that I have relates to the ethics of how journalists receive and present certain information. Journalists should avoid accepting spoon-fed, cherry-picked information if it's likely to be slanted, incomplete, or designed to reach a foregone, easily disputed, or invalid conclusion. Would you agree with that? I think, it's, I think it depends. Really? You, you wouldn't agree that a... Journalists should avoid spoon-fed, cherry-picked information if it's likely to be slanted, incomplete, or designed to reach a foregone, easily disputed, or invalid conclusion? Mrs. Con uh, Congresswoman, I've done probably a dozen stories involving whistleblowers. Every reported story that I've ever done across three decades involves sources who have motives. Every time you do a story, you're making a, a, a balancing test okay. between the public Reclaiming interest. my time. Thank you very much. I ask you this because before you became Elon Musk's hand-picked journalist, so, and pardon the oxymoron, you stated this on Joe Rogan's podcast about being spoon-fed information, and I quote, I think that's true of any kind of journalism, and you'll see it behind me here. I think that's true of any kind of journalism. Once you start getting handed things, then you've lost. They have you at that point, and you've got to get out of that habit. You just can't cross that line. Do you still believe what you told Mr. Rogan, yes or no? Yes or no? Yes. Good. Now, you crossed that line with the Twitter files. No. Elon Musk, it's my time. Please do not interrupt me. Alaskan, Elon Musk spoon-fed spoon you his cherry-picked information, which you must have suspected promotes a slanted viewpoint or at the very least generates another right-wing conspiracy theory. You violated your own standard, and you appear to have benefited from it. Before the release of emails in, of the emails in August of last year, you had 661,000 Twitter followers. 
after the Twitter files, your followers doubled, and now it's three times what it was last August. I imagine your Substack readership, which is a subscription, increased significantly because of the work that you did for Elon Musk. Now, I'm not asking you to put a dollar figure on it, but it's quite obvious that you've profited from the Twitter files. You hit the jackpot on that Vegas slot machine to which you referred. That's true, isn't it? I've also reinvested You've made a some... No, 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 no. Is it true that you have profited since you were, you were this recipient of the Twitter files? You've made money. Yes or no? I Very think it's probably question. a wash, honestly. No, nope. you, you have made money that you did not have before, correct? But I've also spent money that I didn't have okay. before. I just hired a I, whole I, group of people a, to invest. Patently obvious answer, reclaiming my time. Attention is a powerful drug. Eyeballs, money, prominence, attention. All of it points to problems with accuracy and credibility. And the larger point, which is social media companies are not biased against conservatives. And if anything, they ignored their own policies by allowing Trump and other MAGA extremists to post incessant lies, endangering public safety and even our democracy. Hypocrisy is the hangover of an addiction to attention. Now, I want to point out another, another alleged finding from the Twitter files. Mr. Schellenberger, you've referenced several times this $3.4 million that the FBI paid to Twitter in 2020 that was referenced in General Counsel Jim Baker's email. I first want to confirm that nowhere in the email does Baker say that the money was paid to censor information, take down posts, suspend accounts, or do anything to, to relating to content moderation. Is that correct? It is. Thank you. But honest reporting would have explained that the $3.4 million was paid to release information, so not censor. One of my colleagues on this panel repeated your distortions and told Americans this reimbursement was used to, quote, censor certain stories. That's a flat-out lie. Mr. Schellenberger, are you aware of Section 2706 under the Stored Communications Act? It says when social media companies comply with subpoenas, warrants, or court orders, it costs them money, so they get reimbursed. The FBI makes these requests and reimbursements to discover evidence and run relevant to a criminal investigation. Let me repeat that. The FBI makes these requests to help catch the bad guys. That helps keep child predators off social media sites. It helps keep violent criminals off our streets. I support the FBI and our law enforcement agencies. It would be nice if our Republican colleagues did the same and not fabricate explanations for payments that are defined for clear purposes in federal law. My time is just about wrapped up. May I respond? The truth is that social media yeah. companies are unregulated monoliths. They pose danger to individuals. They, they allow posts they don't that bring harm. Unless and that's the bottom line. That this, the other side, will not tell you. I yield back the balance of my time. Um, generally, had no time to yield back, but I will let the gentleman, <laughs> uh, Mr. Schellenberger, respond. And I would also point out that I did not say what Mr. The FBI Chairman, paid Twitter ask. four. All I said was they paid Twitter $3.4 million. Mr. Chairman, point of order. I didn't, ask, I didn't ask Mr. Schellenberger a question. Yeah, right. but he My wants to, the witness wants to respond, and the witness have been invited to our guests, and frankly, they've been attacked by the federal well, please government. please do that. I, I, I'm going to let Mr. Schellenberger answer that before recognizing Mr. Bishop. So are you going to do that as we move down the, the, the line of, of questioners? Uh, the gentleman has not been recognized. You had your five minutes, and frankly, I think that's at the discretion of the chair. Oh. Mr. Schellenberger, you can respond briefly. I'll be brief, which is that my understanding from those files is that Twitter had decided not to take that money until recently. So if you read that email, uh, what Stasha, I believe, the person that sent it, is saying is that they started taking money after previously not taking it. And I believe that the reason that they had not taken it earlier was because they did not want that financial conflict 
clouding their relationship. Mr. Chairman, the money is payment under He's federal law order. so that they can The gentleman from North Carolina, Mr. Bishop, is for recognized for five material minutes. Material that they've been asked. I thank the gentleman. The uh, Mr. Taibbi, uh, would you care to, I'm down here on this end, sir. Uh, I'm, uh, would you care to respond to the attack on your ethics? You weren't given really an opportunity to answer. And if you'd be brief, I've got a bunch of stuff I want to ask you as well. Sure, just quickly, the, that moment on the Joe Rogan show, I was actually recounting a section from Seymour Hersh's book, Reporter, where he described a scene where the CIA gave him the story, and he was very uncomfortable. Uh, he said that I, who had always gotten the secrets, was being handed the secrets. It, look, again, I've done lots of whistleblower stories. There's always a balancing test that you make when you're given material, no, and you're always balancing newsworthiness versus the motives of your sources. In this case, the newsworthiness clearly outweighed any other considerations, and I think everybody else who worked on the project agreed. Doesn't it seem like any reporter who breaks a blockbuster story is going to get attention, and there may be even financial consequences that follow? It seems like as, as surely the it's night follows the day, that's Just the case, right? That is true, although I would like to clear up you know, some things that have been misrepresented. Not one of us has actually been paid to do any of this work. We've all, um, you know, traveled on our own. We've, uh, we've hired our personnel on our own. And I've just hired a, a pretty large team to investigate this issue yeah. uh, out of my own pocket. The fact that the attempt comes from the dais across the aisle to smear you, uh, you frankly, uh, I think liberals, if I understand that, uh, uh, in your background, you're both good liberals and you come in and the Democrats' hostility to what you've uh, undertaken is astonishing to behold, but it's part of the picture we're seeing. In Twitter files number 15, Mr. Taibbi, you exposed Hamilton 68, a website associated with the German Marshall Fund that purported in a dashboard to identify Russian bot networks and uh, became ubiquitously cited by media to identify media stories or narratives that supposedly flowed from Russia. From Russia! Uh, you showed that the front man for Hamilton 68 was Clint Watts, a former FBI agent. At Twitter, the trust and safety executives were ridiculing Hamilton 68 for the ludicrous uh, identifications that it was making, which they could re reverse engineer and figure out who those accounts were. And then in Twitter files number 17, after disclosing Mr. Watts identity, you disclosed that J.M. Berger is the creator of Hamilton 68. And guess what? He was a federal contractor, right? He was, yes. He, 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 he denies that he worked on it for the Global Engagement Center, but he was an employee of theirs until about a month before the dashboard's release. Just a month before it, he said, I believe publicly, that the, he, the, the, the dashboard was the product of three, or, Hi, three years' Welcome. work. So doesn't it beg for sort of the here. intriguing question whether the creation of this fraudulent Hamilton 68 dashboard was effectively underwritten by government funding? Yes, I think it's, that's a good question. Uh, certainly the German Marshall Fund, which is the the NGO that is at the top of the chain in this organ, organization, it's Thank the you German Marshall your Fund face. and the Alliance for Securing Democracy, and then Hamilton 68. Uh, they're a federal contractor. They received over a million dollars from the Department of, of Defense. Um, they're the board of the Alliance for Securing Democracy, has a former acting head of the CIA, uh, former deputy head of the NSA, a former chief of the DHS on yep. it. So I, I want to make, and, and the bigger point is hard because the examples sometimes start making it. I want to introduce you to, or introduce the country to somebody else. I think you've mentioned it in some one of your writings, Richard Stengel. You know who that is? Yes, he's the former, uh, the first head of the Global Engagement Center. I want the American people to hear from him for 30 seconds. Basically, every country 
creates their own narrative story. And, and you know, my old job at the State Department was what people used to joke as the chief propagandist job. We haven't talked about propaganda. Propaganda, I'm not against propaganda. Every country does it, and they have to do it to their own population. Every country does it. Every country does propaganda, and they have to do it to their own people is what Mr. Stingle said. If I understand correctly, he was the head of the, of the, G, of the Global Engagement Center at its creation, right? He was, and in his book, um, Information Wars, there's, there are a number of passages where he talks about creating a whole-of-government solution to the information problem. He hastened to say that he didn't want to create any, a, quote, information ministry, but what he was describing roughly approximates that. In the half minute I've got left, he also was associated with Hamilton 68, right? Um, um, the, the Global Engagement Center certainly had ties to Hamilton 68. I yes. think it's closer than that. Well, that'll come out. Okay. <laughs> well, Mr. I'd be anxious to hear that. I hope I'll get yielded in a minute or two from somebody else down the way. There's all sorts of stuff to disclose. This committee has to uncover not this that single instance, but this system that you have described. This is the hope that Americans have to set this right. This committee Correct. and that yes. hostility shows what we're up against. It's not three pillars to the to the <laughs> system. It is four. And you're seeing the left move to crush you and anybody else who tries to expose this. I yield. I thank the gentleman for his great uh, five minutes. And we now yield to the gentleman from Virginia, Mr. Conley. Thank you, Mr. Chairman. Um, I don't know what to say after that last one. Um, we're fellow Americans. We're elected officials. Mr. Conn, in a sparkly time. We're trying to get at the truth, and we're trying to participate in the process at getting at the truth. Mr. TV, uh, you have said that this isn't really a matter of right or left, that... Theological colorations involved in the Twitter files. Is that roughly correct? Yes. And Mr. Schellenberg, you, you would agree with that? Yes. So when you release information, have you released any information of, for example, right wing elements or the Trump White House yeah. attempting yep. to moderate content at Twitter? Yes. Yes, Jay. No, not the Trump White House, per se, although I, di I did report initially in the first Twitter files that the Trump White House had made and, and be, uh, requests and had been honored. Mr. Uh, Shelver? I did not find that. You haven't Twitter found files. it. So we had a hearing the other day on Twitter, and we had four witnesses, three for the majority, one for the minority, and all four testified under oath they had never received a request for content moderation or takedown by the Biden White House, but they did from Donald Trump's White House. And specifically, uh, the case brought up was an exchange between Donald Trump, then President of the United States, and Chrissy Teigen, uh, where she, you know they, he had called her something and she called him something back, I won't repeat it. Um, and, uh, and this was under oath, confirmed, yeah, that happened. And that the White House shortly thereafter, after Tegan, uh, Tegan uh, had her email about the president, which was pejorative, that the White House called Twitter to try to take on the content. You were that, Mr. Tegan? Yeah, I've, I certainly heard that in the news. And, but 
Did you see that email exchange? No, I, I have not seen a, uh, an exchange from the Trump White House. So I, I have seen one from Congressman Schiff and one from Senator Angus King. Yeah, nice try. We're talking about the uh, Trump White House uh, and people under oath confirming it. And my question is, in the Twitter files, did Elon Musk or Twitter provide you with that exchange with Chrissy Teigen? Twitter files back. No, um, it, it, but that's probably because the, the searches that I was making. Well, probably, probably because it didn't confirm the bias that this is all about, as the gentleman from Texas would say, the left attempting to uh, control content when in fact the evidence is the Trump White House most certainly attempted to control content on Twitter. Mr. Schellenberger, were you aware of that? Or is this all news to you? I, I already answered that question. <laughs> no, I'm, I'm, I mean specifically the Tegan exchange. Yeah, the, T the Tegan exchange was news to me. I'm probably mispronouncing her name, I'm sorry. Um, so let me ask, ha have you like combed the uh, the so-called Twitter files to look at other examples that aren't about the Biden White House or the FBI that might in fact involve people from the right ideologically or from the Republican ranks, just to be fair. Well, again, Mr. Congressman, I mentioned before, we're focused not on the Biden administration or the Trump administration. In fact, just, just this morning, uh, we released uh, uh, an exchange where Twitter talked about um, vetting the accounts of both Mr. Biden and Mr. Trump. Uh, and really, we were looking at the intelligence agencies when we were doing this research. And as I mentioned before, their conclusions targeted people on both the left and the right globally, again, including the Yellow Vest movement in France, pro-Maduro accounts in South America and leftist uh, news organizations in America like Truthout and Consortium. Some of those people are my friends, actually. Um, and, you know, we found those in intelligence lists that were passed on to Twitter, uh, just as we, we found lists that included uh, ordinary Trump supporters. Thank you. Um, reclaiming my time, I appreciate that because in some ways what you just said undermines the premise of this select committee, which is that the federal government has been organized to weaponize uh, against conservative voices. Um, and of course, what you've just indicated in your testimony is, well, actually, that's not the evidence you found. No, I think this committee, my understanding is that they're they're concerned about the weapon, weaponization of, of the government against free speech, which is certainly what we're finding. I, I, Thank you. My time has expired, but I appreciate your understanding of our committee. I have a different understanding. I yield back. Well, you got the wrong understanding. Last week in the, in the full Judiciary Committee hearing, I introduced into the record a story of a left-wing journalist who said that, that talked about the FBI putting a paid informant, a felon, in the Black Lives Matter movement in Denver. I want to focus on the First Amendment, just like protecting the First Amendment, just like these guys. Point do. of order, Mr. Chair. Are you going to respond after every? No, I'm everything? taking my five minutes. This is I your. Can take oh, my you're, five oh, minutes you're, it's your five minutes I can now. Take my five minutes when 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 I want to, and I'm taking my five okay, minutes. Okay, great. Now. Yeah, thank you. Well, and I would I, ask for an additional few seconds for being interrupted by the ranking member. Um, but the, the truth is we want to focus on protecting the First Amendment. Mr. Schellenberger, are you a Republican? No, I'm not. You got, a, you got any you know, pro-Trump bumper stickers on your car? 
I voted for Biden. Voted for Biden. You know how many MAGA hats laying around your house, right? I do not. Yeah, but you said earlier, both you and Mr. Taibbi said, this is the most chilling thing you have ever seen as journalists. Mr. Taibbi, the same thing. You're not a Republican either, right? No, no. I'm not. You didn't vote for, I mean, like, this is about protecting the First Amendment. Mr. Taibbi, I want to read from your uh, Twitter file number nine. You say this, after weeks of Twitter files, the Bureau issued a statement Wednesday, referring to the FBI. Here's what the FBI said. It is unfortunate that conspiracy theorists and others are feeding the American public misinformation with the sole purpose of attempting to discredit the agency. You then follow up. And this is why I think you're an award-winning author. You then follow up. They must think we're unambitious if our sole aim is to discredit the FBI. After all, a whole range of government agencies discredit themselves in the Twitter files. And then you go on to, in this particular Twitter file, to talk about what Mr. Bishop was just talking about, the GEC at the State Department. You talk about the CIA. You talk about the DOD. You talk about the FBI. You talk about the DHS. You talk about the Foreign Intelligence Task Force, which is a combination of all these. But there was one agency you didn't mention because you didn't know at the time. One agency, one, you got almost the whole alphabet, but you didn't mention one agency, the FTC. The F, because you, you know about them now. <laughs> yes, we you know about them now in an up close and personal way. You didn't know then, but you do know, uh, know, know now. December 2nd, as I said earlier, December 2nd, the first Twitter file comes out, Mr. Taibbi. And I think there are five others, including the ones from Mr. Schellenberger. December 13th, the very first letter that the FTA, uh, FTC sends to Twitter after the Twitter files, 11 days after the first Twitter file, there have been five of them come out. The FTC's first demand in that first letter after the Twitter files come out is identify all journalists, I'm, I'm quoting, identify all journalists and other members of the media to whom Twitter worked with. You find that scary, Mr. Taibbi, that you got a federal government agency asking a private company, who in the press are you talking with? Yeah, I, I do find it scary. I, I, I think it's none of the government's business what uh, which journalists a private company talks to and why. Um, I think every journalist should be concerned about that and the absence of interest in that issue by um, uh, my fellow colleagues in the mainstream media is an indication of how low the business has sunk. Uh, there was once a real esprit de corps and camaraderie uh, within media. Whenever one of us was uh, gone after, we all kind of rose to the challenge and supported. Used to be. Yeah. Used to be the case. Um, that is gone now. Uh, we, we don't protect one you know what another. else used to happen? Democrats used to care about protecting First Amendment free speech rights, too. Now it's like, okay, if you're attacking, and I said this on the House floor. I said, don't think they won't come for you. Oh, the, the, the big tech, big media, the cancel culture, they may come for Republicans and conservatives now, but they never. the mob is never satisfied. They will keep coming. Mr. Schellenberger, you know who the chair of the FTC is? Uh, not Personally, Lena Khan, Lena Khan, you know who she used to work for? My understanding is the Judiciary Committee. Yeah, she's worked for these folks. The same folks have been attacking you today. Same folks. Chair of the FTC, work for them. Here's what they said. Here's what she said in one in a letter where they ask about who these journalists, again, they named four personally, four journalists by name. You were two of the four. As I said before, I think it's, it's frankly courageous and brave of you to show up today when you know the federal government's got an eye on you personally. Here's what they asked for in that letter. Any credentialing or background check Twitter has done on journalists. Now think about that. The federal government is saying we want you to do a background check on members of the press, freedom of the press mentioned in the First Amendment, and they're doing back. They want Twitter to do a background check on you before they can talk to you in America. 
The FTC, led by Lena Khan, who used to work for these guys, is asking that question. Now, 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 now we know, now we all know why you guys said at the outset, this is the most chilling story. And you guys are New York Times bestsellers, award-winning uh, journalists. But in all your, your time in the, in the journalism field, this issue, most important. And how this, I think, what'd you call it, Mr. Schellenberg, this complex, what'd you call it? The censorship industrial complex. Totally. This web of censorship, big government, big tech, NGOs, all this web of censorship that Mr. Bishop was getting into in his line of questioning. That's what this committee is going to get to. And that's not right or left. That's not, this is just right or wrong. This is wrong. We know it's wrong. And it's about protecting the First Amendment. I yield back. I now recognize the, 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 the ranking member uh, for her five minutes. Thank you. Thank you very much, Mr. Chair. Um, Mr. Taibbi, the emails and documents you've produced all date to around 2020. Is that correct? No, uh, there's a significant portion of them from 2017 and 2018 as well. Thank you. And Mr. Schellenberger, what dates do you have? I, I believe that we had emails including 2022, 2021, yeah, 2020. That's also true. 2019. And Mr. Taibbi said 2018. Do you have 2018 as well? I, I can't remember. Okay, thank you. Um, Mr. Taibbi, how many employees did Twitter employ in approximately the time period of 2020-21? Do you know? I don't. Okay, Sorry. it was 7,500. Do you know how many were in its legal team during that time period? I don't. And do you know how many were in its public policy team? I don't. Mr. Schellenberger, do you know how many were employed in content moderation during that time? I do not know. Okay. So we're looking at thousands of employees overall and hundreds in offices where the focus of emails and documents you released. Um, I will ask you, Mr. Schellenberger, how many emails did Mr. Musk give you access to? Welcome, Alicia. I mean, we, we, we went through thousands of emails. Did he give you access to all of the emails for the time we, period in which? Yeah, I, we never had a single, I never had a single request denied. And not only that, but the amount of files that we were given were so voluminous that there mm -hmm. was no way that anybody could have gone through them beforehand. And we never found an instance where anything, there was any evidence that anything had been taken out. Okay, so you would, you would believe that you have probably millions of emails and documents, right? That's correct, would you uh, say? I don't know. No, I think the number's less too high. Okay, 100,000? It's probably closer. Probably, yeah. probably close to 100,000 that both of you are seeing. Yet, in your the Twitter files, Mr. Taibbi, you've produced only 338 of those 100,000 emails. Is that correct? That's correct, yes. And then who gave you access to these emails? Uh, who was the individual that uh, gave you permission to access the emails? Well, the attribution from my story is sources at Twitter, and that's what I'm going to refer to. Okay. Uh, did Mr. Musk contact you, Mr. Taibbi? Again, the attribution from my story is sources at Twitter. Mr. Schellenberger, did Mr. Musk contact you? Uh, actually, no. I was brought in by my friend Barry Weiss, and so this story, there's been a lot of misinformation. So Mr. Weiss brought you in. Mr. Taibbi, Ms. Weiss, thank you. Mr. Yeah. Taibbi, have you had conversations with Elon Musk? I have. Okay. Uh, Mr. Taibbi, did Mr. Musk place any conditions on the let use the of the Let the gentlelady yield for a second. Uh, as long as my time is not used. Are you, are you trying to get journalists? No, to, I'm to not trying to get sources? No, I'm not. Well, I am sure asking, like no, well, if you will let me finish. Are you, and you had conversations with him, not you said you weren't going to agree to who your sources were. I'm not asking you your source. I'm asking you if you had conversations with the owner of Twitter. 
And did Mr. Musk place any conditions on your use of the emails or documents? No, the, in fact, I was told uh, explicitly that um, we were uh, given license to look at present day Twitter as well as past Twitter. So you had unfiltered access to Twitter's internal communications and systems? Yes. Would those include HR files? No, 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 no. We, 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 didn't, we did not have access to personal information of any kind. In uh -huh. fact, we, we signed a waiver um, uh, for Have you produced that waiver to the uh, members of anyone on this committee or any staff? I'd be happy to produce Have you? it. I haven't, but I'd be happy. Have you uh, given all of the access to what you were given by your source to this committee? No, one. I would never do that. Okay. I didn't ask if you were given the committee, uh, the individuals, but all of the files. No, you have not? No. So what we're getting is your dissemination, your decision as to what was important and not important in that, correct? Which is true in every news is story. In every story. But you have files that you say you are sharing, but those files are just a smaller period of the files. Is that correct? Yes. Yes? They're, they're okay, thank you. And the FTC investigation of Twitter, you knew that they were investigating Twitter before the time period that Mr. Musk came on? I was aware of it, yes. And the FTC was concerned with user data being hacked or used? Is that correct, that they didn't have enough um, checks and balances on that data? Well, I, I wasn't privy to that part. Have of you seen the consent decree? No, I have not. Okay, well, the consent decree is concerned with user data, which would be probably the reason that they were concerned if they're giving files to journalists that potentially data about users as well as data about individuals and employees would be given to them. My understanding um, so is I that didn't they ask didn't a ask question. I didn't ask you a question, sir. Okay. So do you know that Elon Musk paid $44 billion for Twitter? Is that correct, Mr. Schellenberger? Were you aware of that? Yes, I read that. And did you know that he received that um, part of the funding from Saudi Arabia as well as Qatar? Uh, I, I heard that. And I did you know that one of those individuals who owns um, Beyonce, was the company, um, Binance, while he has a Canadian citizenship, he is a Chinese national. Were you aware of that? I did not know that. Okay. And that he uh, stated that that was for the cause. But thank you very much for answering my questions. I yield back. Chair, now recognize the gentlelady from Wyoming for five minutes with the gentlelady. Yield for 20 seconds. Yes. I, I, I thank the gentlelady for yielding. I just think this is interesting. First, the, the FTC is asking for your backgrounds. And now the, the ranking member of the Committee on the Weaponization of Government is asking for your sources. If I never asked them for their sources. Yes, I did, did not we, ask for sources. You know I asked the if they were talking not, the to Elon not, Musk. Not and they said that they were not talking. Well, you are not going to say I will yield, uh, yield back to the thank gentlelady. You. I thank her for yielding. With respect, you. you asked me who gave me who, who gave me I asked files. you who gave it to you. And when she said that they were your sources, I then asked you if you had spoken with Elon Musk. I did not ask you who those sources were. General, the gentlelady the from record. Wyoming is recognized, correct. and she will receive an additional 20 seconds. Uh, the gentlelady is recognized for five minutes of question. Thank you, Mr. Chairman, and thank you to our witnesses for being here today and all of your important work that has you have put into writing the Twitter files. Uh, thank you for your willingness to come here and be subjected to the kind of abuse that we've observed when all you're trying to do is talk about the importance of the First Amendment and why the federal government should not be doing what they did and what has been evidenced in the Twitter files. I often say that sunshine is the best disinfectant. And boy, after listening to you and reading the reports that I have, does our federal government need to be fumigated? 
Mr. Taibbi, I'd like to focus on Twitter files part nine, Twitter and other government agencies, as I think a lot of the evidence you present in this section touches on the major takeaways that are so important for Americans to understand about the seriousness of what was found in the Twitter files. In your testimony describing the cooperation between the federal government and tech companies like Twitter, you stated, quote, a focus of this growing network is making lists of people whose opinions, beliefs, associations, or sympathies are deemed to be misinformation, disinformation, or malinformation, end quote. What's interesting to me is that what is missing from that list is the word unlawful. It's true, yes. And so it notably seems to be missing from the FBI's lexicon. In part nine of the Twitter files, Mr. Taibbi notes that the main conduit sending requests to Twitter would routinely label these flags as violations of Twitter's terms of service. Even Jim Baker, a Twitter employee at the time and someone who is allegedly a former general counsel of the FBI stated, quote, but also odd that they are searching for violations of our policies. Mr. Taibbi, what was about the, what was the approximate percentage of the FBI requests to Twitter being based on the justification it, that, the, that the tweet violated the company's terms of service? Uh, Ms. Congressman, I would say that that was a standard disclosure or a standard disclaimer in almost all the communications from the FBI to Twitter. Uh, they would, there would usually be a line in there saying something like, for your consideration, we believe the following 207 accounts may have violated your terms of service. Um, but notably, they, they were, they very rarely focused on words like truth or inaccuracy. Uh, very often they use the words malinformation, misinformation, or disinformation. Uh, and so I think they were trying to shift the focus from one idea to the other. I think that's interesting as well. What do you make of the finding that the FBI found it its responsibility to police violation of a private company's terms of service as a priority over policing violations of U.S. federal law? We've, there, there were a couple of very telling emails that we, um, we published. Uh, one was by the, uh, a lawyer named Sasha Cardiel, where the company was being so overwhelmed by... Um, by request from the FBI. And in fact, they, they gave each other a sort of digital high five after one batch saying that was a monumental undertaking to clear all of these. But she noted that, that she believed that, that the FBI was essentially um, creating, doing word searches keyed to Twitter's terms of service, um, looking for violations of terms of service specifically so that they could make recommendations along those lines, which we found interesting. Do you believe it's the FBI's responsibility to police the terms of service for a private company? I do not. I, I think you cannot have a state-sponsored anti-disinformation effort um, and also without directly striking at the whole concept of free speech. I think the two ideas are in direct conflict. Uh, and this is a fundamental misunderstanding, I think, of a lot of the people who get into this world. Some of them, I believe, in a well-meaning way. I think they, they're actually trying to accomplish something positive, but they don't understand what free speech means and what happens when you do this. It undermines the whole concept 
um, that truth doesn't come from, uh, isn't mandated, that we arrive at it through debate and discussion. Well, in fact, wouldn't you agree with me that the First Amendment is broader than Twitter's terms of service? Absolutely, yes. Yeah. And wouldn't you also agree with me that the FBI is responsible for complying with the First Amendment, not Twitter's terms of service? I would hope so, yes. Yeah. Uh, you also highlighted the presence of people like Jim Baker at Twitter. And again, I've noted that he is allegedly a former FBI employee. Part 9 also speaks of a former, a former other government association employees working at Twitter. What was the extent to which you found former FBI or other intelligence community employees working at Twitter? And did you find it odd? Uh, there was a significant quantity of people um, who had come from the intelligence world um, or who had worked at state agencies. In fact, that was a very common method by which um, members of uh, people who are currently working in government would reach out to Twitter. Uh, for instance, we found an email by um, a current State Department official who reached out to a former State Department official asking that 14 uh, ordinary Americans have their accounts deleted. That was in a recent Twitter files um, uh, release. So yes, there's, there's an extraordinary number of these people. A lot of them come from the intelligence world, which we did find unusual, I think. Okay, General, thank you very much, and I yield back. General Lay's time is fired. Uh, I thank her. The gentleman from California is recognized for five minutes. Uh, thank you, Mr. You Chairman. I, I still try to figure out where all of this is going to go, but we've heard a lot from our Republican colleagues uh, claiming that somehow all of this interaction has led to uh, Twitter censoring uh, conservative voices. And I really want to look at what the evidence is that that has or has not happened. In 2020, Twitter commissioned an objective study to examine whether its algorithms disproportionately promotes conservative or liberal voices. This was a massive study by researchers from the University of Cambridge and Berkeley. The analysis examined millions of Twitter accounts and 6.2 million news articles that were shared within the United States. The study results were quite clear. Twitter's algorithms actually amplifies conservative voices far more than liberal voices. So whatever comes of this question about pressure from the federal government, at least up until 2020, it didn't have an effect. A separate study, this one from the Indiana University, found that partisan accounts, especially conservative accounts, tend to receive more, more followers and follow more automated accounts. So Mr. Talibi and Mr. Schallenberger, are you familiar with these studies? I am. I am. Very good. Then you know that whatever you may be trying to uh, tell us, the effect on Twitter didn't happen. Um, no, uh, I no. don't agree. Excuse me. It's, it's my time. Thank you. Uh, I can also give you many real analytical studies based on actual evidence. But since I have only five minutes, Mr. Chairman, if I might enter into the record these studies of what actually is going on at Twitter with regard to um, censorship or not censorship. Mr. Chairman, may I enter those into the file? Thank you, Mr. Chairman. I take that silence as a yes. Did you identify the document? I'm sorry. Certainly. Two do uh, these documents, well, studies that were done by 
universities. Uh, and we usually take a little bit, it takes a little bit more for unanimous consent than these documents, but without objection, we'll accept them into the record. Thank you, Mr. Ch Thank you, Mr. Chairman. Uh, these studies found that uh, to the extent that far-right accounts are being suspended, it's not because of their ideology, but because they are spreading conspiracy theories like QAnon. You can see those up on the board. Uh, talk about nonsense. QAnons, are you really ready for these dots? Where in the country is gone? The rest of the world will go. Q is real. On and on. They're up there, and uh, they're now part of the file also. Uh, this type of speech that uh, perhaps my Republican colleagues believe uh, social media platforms, all of whom, all of whom, by the way, are private companies, not government, are somehow obligated to post. No matter how crazy, how offensive a post might be, these private companies presumably must advance the lies, conspiracy theories, personal attacks promoted by radicals. Now, I'm pretty sure that if the Democrats held a hearing today to force Fox News to post certain content, my Republican colleagues would be up in arms. And this is particularly ironic because we know for a fact that Fox News does spread disinformation and does so while knowing that the material is false. We've learned from the Dominion lawsuit that Fox hosts lied about the 2020 election. Its executives knew they were lying and yet they were allowed to continue peddling their lies. Now, here's a reporter speaking to this issue, a Fox News reporter. He said, dangerously insane. There's two Fox executives describing Fox's decision to push forward election lies as chasing the nuts off the cliff. There are two other quotes, two other tweets that I think we ought to be aware of, and Fox News was promoting it. They were promoting Trump's lies. Quote up there, big protest in DC on January 6th. Be there, will be wild. A call to arms, and all of us in this building know the result of that call. A second one, Mike Pence didn't have the courage to do what needed to be done to protect our country. This is the speech that my Republican colleagues would have us to believe is being wrongly quote, unquote, censored by social media companies. It's offensive, it's absurd. No private company has an obligation to amplify anything, and especially not messages that strike at the heart of our democracy. I yield back. Uh, gentlemen, the gentleman yields back. Gentleman from Utah is recognized for five minutes. Thank you, Chairman. Thank you, witnesses, for being here. Uh, I suppose this is maybe a little bit outside your comfort zone. You didn't find yourself with this kind of attention when you began this endeavor, but uh, I appreciate the courage and the commitment you've made to doing that. We may not agree on a lot of things when it comes to policy and politics, but I think we agree on our concern regarding... WX, thank you for the dollar. I appreciate I, I, it. Thank you for the super sticker on Rumble. From uh, my Democratic friend and colleague and the things that he has said, because I agree with him. Private companies, I mean, Twitter... Facebook, they can ban whoever they want. They can mute. They can deplatform. They can set up whatever policy they want, and they have the ability to do that. I don't care about that. I agree with that. They should have that authority. The thing that we're concerned about is when the federal government, by proxy, essentially contracts this out. 
because the federal government can't ban speech. They can define time and place, but they cannot ban content. And anyone would be foolish to think that when the FBI comes to a private company and highlights speech and then would expect them to do nothing, of course they would respond to that. The FBI knew they would respond to that. The FBI expected them to respond to that. And I, I could use a couple analogies if I could, and they sound dramatic, but they're exactly right. It's illegal for the United States to assassinate a foreign leader. It would be illegal for the United States to pay $3.2 million to someone to go assassinate a foreign leader. It's illegal in some cases for the United States, or not illegal, but we would have to have a policy debate whether we would invade another country. It would be illegal for the United States to pay a private company like the Wagner Group in Russia to go and fight their battles for them. And that's exactly what the FBI did here. They said, well, we can't do this ourselves. We'll contract it out. We'll launder this effort through another company. And I would just ask you to respond to that. Do you think I'm overly dramatic or do you think I'm wrong in my characterization of what we see here? I don't. I think you're, I think that's absolutely correct. Uh, freedom of speech is the foundation for our democracy. And what we've seen here is federal government putting extraordinary amounts of pressure, both on Twitter and Facebook. And we haven't talked about Facebook, but we, we now know that we have the, we have the White House demanding that Facebook take down factual information and Facebook doing that. And we, and with Matt's thread this morning, we saw, uh, the government contractors demanding the same thing of Twitter, accurate information they said that needed to be taken down in order to advance a narrative. And I have to interrupt just to agree with you. For heaven's sakes, again, we've heard over here, well, they got to take, you know, Fox News lies. There's a reason that 20% of the people trust media. Uh, oh my gosh, if you want to have a conversation about lies and deception in the media, I would love to engage in that because we've seen plenty of it over the last six years, and it's not coming from just Fox News. New York Times, CBS, NBC, every single one of them were saying things that they knew was not true. And they didn't say it once, they said it for years. And the, and the White House, again, trying to stifle things that they know is, is true, but it doesn't fit their narrative. And I got to give one illustration in the, in the few minute, or minute I have left. When you have an agent, Mr. Chan, who goes to his Twitter and says, please see below list of Twitter accounts, which we believe violate your terms of service. I mean, how do you respond to that and defend that? Yeah, FBI should be looking at other private companies' policies and then highlighting, hey, these people might be violating your policies. E either one of you, uh, Mr. Taibbi. If I could, yeah, no, I think there's, thank you, Mr. Congressman, and there's an important point, um, you know, in conjunction with our own research, there's a foundation, the Foundation for Freedom Online, which, um, you know, there's a very telling video that they uncovered where the director of Stanford's um, Election Integrity Partnership talks about how um, CISA, the DHS agency, uh, didn't have the capability to do election monitoring um, and so that they kind of stepped in to fill, quote, fill the gaps legally um, uh, before that capability could be uh, amped up. And what we see in the Twitter files is that Twitter executives did not distinguish between DHS or CISA 
and this group EIP. For instance, we would see a communication that said, um, from CISA escalated by EIP. So they were essentially identical in the eyes of the company. Uh, EIP in, in, by its own data, and this is in reference to what, what you brought up, Mr. Congressman, um, according to their own data, they significantly uh, targeted more dis what they call disinformation on the right than on the left um, by a factor, I think, of, uh, of about 10 to 1. Uh, so, and I, and I say that it's not a Republican at all. It's just a fact of what we're looking at. Um, so, yes, the, we have come to the, to the realization that this bright line that we imagine that exists between say the FBI or the DHS or the GEC and these private companies is, is illusory and that it, what's more important is this constellation of kind of quasi-private organizations that do this work. Well, and we're over time, so I'll conclude with reemphasizing this. By a factor of 10 to 1, they tried to mute conservative thought. And the federal government cannot contract out suppression of free expression. Yep. Chairman, thank you. Thank you. Gentlemen's time has expired. The gentlelady from Texas is recognized for five minutes. Thank you, Mr. Speaker. I did that last time. I apologize, Mr. Chairman. Um, Mr. Taibbi, um, I want to follow up a little bit on the ranking member's questions. Um, when was the first time that Mr. Musk approached you about writing uh, uh, the Twitter files? Again, Congresswoman, that would... Uh, I just need a date, sir. But I can't give it to you, unfortunately, because this this is a question of sourcing, and I don't give up. I'm it's a journalist. A, I don't reveal my source. It's a question of chronology. No, that's a question because of sourcing. Because you earlier said that, that someone had sent you through the Internet some message about whether or not you would be interested in some information. Yes, and I refer to that person as a source. So you're not going to tell us when Musk first approached you? Again, Congressman, so when you're asking me to, yes you're no. asking a journalist to reveal so a source. So then you consider Mr. Musk to be the direct source of all this? No, now you're you're trying to get me to say that he is the source. I, 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 well, I just can't answer your question. Well, he is isn't. If you're telling me you can't answer because it's your source, well, then that only logical conclusion is that he is, in fact, your source. Well, you're free to conclude that. Well, sir, I just don't understand. You can't have it both ways, but let's move on. because well, No, he can. He's a journalist. No, he can't because either Musk is the source and he can't talk about it, or Musk is not the source. And if Musk is not the source, then he can discuss No one has yielded. The gentlelady's out of order. You don't and get to speak. out of order because he's not recognized. You're not recognized. He has not said that. What he has said is he's not going to reveal his source. And the fact that Democrats are pressuring him to do so is such an honor. We're asking him about his conversations with Musk. The gentlelady has not yielded you time. You don't get I have not yielded time to anybody. I want to reclaim my time. And I would ask the chairman to give me back some of the time because of the interruption. Mr. Chairman, I'm asking you if you will give me the seconds that I lost. We will give you that 10 seconds. Thank you. Now, let's talk about another uh, item that you, when you responded to the ranking member, you said that you had free license to look at everything, but yet you yourself posted on your, your um, I guess it's kind of like a web page. I don't quite understand what Substack is, but uh, that what I can say is that in exchange for the opportunity to cover a unique and explosive story, I had to agree to certain conditions. What were those conditions? She asked you that question, and you said you had none. 
but you yourself posted did you had conditions. No, the, the conditions, as I've explained multiple times. No, uh, sir, you've not explained. You told her, her in response to her question that you had no conditions. In fact, you, you kind of used the word license, that you were free to look at all of them, all 100,000 emails. I was, the, the question was posed, was, was I free to, to write about? Sir, did you have any conditions? The condition was that we published Sir, did you Twitter. have any conditions, yes or no? A simple question. Yes. All right, could you tell us what conditions those were? The conditions were an attribution, sources at Twitter, and that we, we break any news on Twitter. But you didn't break it on Twitter. Did you send the file that you released today to Twitter first? Did I send the, Sir, actually I'm I did, you today. yes. Yeah. You, you, did you send it to Twitter first? The Twitter That was one of the conditions? Yes or no, sir? The Twitter files thread actually did come out first. But sir, you, you said earlier that you had to attribute all the sources to Twitter first. What you released today, did you send that to Twitter first? No, 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 I, post, I posted it on Twitter. First. First, sir. Or did you give it to the ranking member, to the chairman of the committee or the staff of the committee first? Well, that's not breaking the story. That's giving, yes, I did, I did give. Uh, so you the, gave all the information that you did not give to the Democrats. You gave it to the Republicans first. Then you put it on Twitter? Actually, no, the chronology is a little bit confused. Well, then, more then or tell less us the what the chronology time. was. I believe the thread came out first. Where? On Twitter. On Twitter. So then you afterwards gave it to the Republicans and not the Democrats? Yes, because I'm submitting it for the record as my, as my statement. Did you give it to them in advance? I gave it to them today. You gave it to them today, but you still have not given anything to the Democrats. Well, I'll, I'll, again, I'll move on. And I wanted to ask uh, Mr. Schellenberger the same question, sir. When did you first... Uh, visit with or get contacted by Mr. Musk. I'm not going to reveal my sources, but like I said, I was invited by Barry Weiss. And I'm not was... asking for sources, sir. I'm just asking yeah. for chronology. I when was... did you first make contact with Mr. Musk? I don't know the exact date. Was it? It was December. It was December. December of, well, there's a lot of Decembers in December history, of last which, year. Which December? December of last year, ma'am. Last year, the 2022? 20, uh, yes. All right. Now, that is Representative in, uh, Garcia. In your discussion, in your answer, you also said that you were invited by a friend, Barry Weiss. My friend Barry Weiss. So this friend works for Twitter, or what is what is her? Um... She's a journalist. Sir, I didn't ask you a question. I'm I'm now asking Mr. Schellenberger a question. Please yes, ma'am. Barry Weiss is a journalist. I'm sorry, sir. She's a journalist. She's a journalist. So you work in concert with her? Um, yeah. Do you know when she first? Uh, was contacted by Mr. Musk. I, I don't know. You don't know. So you're in this as a threesome? Um, there was many more people involved than that. There was many more people involved with it. Are you being paid to be here today, either through consulting fees, <sighs> no. campaign contributions to your next not. run? Dental ladies, Do you have an interview Dental scheduled ladies, after time this is hearing? Expired. Absolutely not. Dental Absolutely. ladies, time has expired. Thank you. I just, I don't know what to say other than I'll, I'll recognize the gentleman from North Dakota for five minutes. Thank you, Mr. Chairman, and I'll yield my five minutes. Oh, I, appreciate, I appreciate the gentleman uh, yielding. Uh, I do think it's worth pointing out that, you know, I have co-sponsored. I think some of my colleagues have co-sponsored the SHIELD Act in previous Congresses with Democrats 
to protect what we see them trying to do today, protect journalists from having to reveal their sources to government. That used to be a shared position in the Congress. Unfortunately, as we're seeing now, multiple occasions, it's not the, it's not the position anymore. Uh, Mr. Schellenberg, I want to go to Twitter files part seven. I related a lot of what you put in there in my opening statement. And I want to give you as much time as you want. Because I'm going to read the very first sentence. Because something jumped out at me when I read the first sentence. In Twitter files number seven, the FBI and the Biden laptop. You say this. How the FBI and intelligence community discredited factual information about the Biden foreign business dealings both after and before the New York Post revealed the contents of his laptop on October 14th, 2020. And what stuck, kind of jumped out at me was the way you framed it because you did it backwards from what it's normally said normally you would say the sentence would read foreign business dealings both before and after but i assume you did that for a reason because in fact i think the next sentence you say social media companies discredit leaked information about hunter biden before and after you use the normal customary way in the second sentence but the first sentence strikes me as you were trying to emphasize the before component of that statement. And I want you to just walk us through why you said that, because when I read it, it certainly was an operation uh, b- both before and after, as you said, after and before. Thank you, Mr. Chairman. Reading through the whole sweep of events, I do not know the extent to which the influence operation aimed at pre-bunking the Hunter Biden laptop was coordinated. I don't know who all was involved, but what we saw was You saw Aspen and Stanford many months before then saying, don't cover the material in the hack and leak without emphasizing the fact that it could be disinformation. Okay, so they're priming journalists to not cover a future hack and leak in the way that journalists have long been trained to with the in the in the tradition of the Pentagon Papers made famous by the the Steven Spielberg movie. They were saying cover the fact that it that it probably came from the Russians. Then you have the former general counsel to the FBI, Jim Baker, the former deputy chief of staff to the FBI, both arriving at Twitter in the summer of 2020, which I find what an interesting coincidence. Then when the New York Post publishes its first article on October 14th, it's Jim Baker who makes the most strenuous argument within Twitter, multiple emails, multiple messages saying this doesn't look real, Uh, There's people, there's intelligence experts saying that this could be Russian disinformation. He is the most strenuous person inside Twitter arguing that it's probably Russian disinformation. The internal evaluation by Yoel Roth, who testified in front of this committee, was that it was what it looked to be, which was that it was not a result of a hack and leak operation. And why did he think that? Because the New York Post had published the FBI subpoena taking the laptop in December of 2019, and they published the agreement that the laptop computer store owner, the computer store owner rather, had with Hunter Biden that gave him permission after he abandoned the laptop to use it however he wanted. So there really wasn't much doubt about the provenance of that laptop. But you had Jim Baker making a strenuous argument. And then of course, you get to a few days after the October 14th release, you have the president of the United States echoing what these these former intelligence community officials were saying which is that it looked like a Russian influence operation. Yeah. So they were they were claiming that the laptop was made public by a conspiracy theory. 
and the conspiracy theory that somehow the Russians got it, and they, right. they and basically the they convinced Joel Roth that it was they convinced him of this wild hack and leak story that somehow the Russians stole it, got the information, gave it to the computer store, and it was bizarre. So you read that chain of events, and it appears as though there is an organized influence operation to pre-bunk. Why? Why do you think they could predict the time, the method, and the person? Why could the FBI predict it? I'm, it's, Why, they it's they, they, not only did they predict it, they predicted it. So did the Aspen Institute. Yeah. Seemed like everyone was in the know saying, here's what's going to happen. We can read the future. Why do you think, how do you think they were able to do that? I think the most important fact to know is that the FBI had that laptop in December 2019. They were also spying on Rudy Giuliani when he got the laptop and when he gave it to the New York Post. Now, maybe the FBI agents who were going to Mark Zuckerberg at Facebook and to Twitter executives and warning of a hack and leak, potentially involving Hunter Biden, maybe those guys didn't have anything to do with the guys that had maybe. the laptop. We don't know that. I know. But I have to say, as a newcomer to this, as somebody that thought it was Russian disinformation, in 2020, everybody I knew thought I was Russian. I was shocked to see that period, that series of events going on. It looked to me like a deliberate influence operation. I don't have the proof of it, but the circumstantial evidence is is pretty disturbing. It's pretty overwhelming. Thank you, uh, Mr. Schellenberg. Now recognize the gentleman from New York, Mr. Goldman, for five minutes. Oh, I think it's uh, Mr. Allred first. I'm oh, I'm sorry. I, I, you just you just walked in. Re recognize the gentleman from Texas. Go right ahead. Thank you, Mr. Chair. I'd like to ask um, unanimous consent to enter a few tweets into the record. Sure. Let's Can you identify the tweets? Let's see. It. I think staff should have them. Can we put the tweets up on the screen? Let's take a look at a couple of tweets from Kanye West, who now goes by Ye. But at the time of these tweets had 32 million followers. Mr. Taibbi, can you read the Tweet on left, can you see the text there? I actually can't, my eyes that is not, is not so great. I'll read it to you. It says, I'm a bit sleepy tonight. When I wake up, I'm going death con three on Jewish people, in all caps. The funny thing is, I actually can't be anti-Semitic because black people are actually Jew. Also, you guys have toured with me and tried to blackball anyone who ever opposes your agenda. And can you see the tweet next to it? I can, yes. It's a... Would you describe it to Star of David, the swastika in the middle of it? Yes. Should those tweets have been taken down by Twitter? I think it's a difficult question. Hate speech is protected in the United States. Um, one of my heroes growing up was the Ukraine-born author Isaac Babel. He gave a speech at the first Soviet Writers' Congress, and he was asked if any important rights had been taken away. And he sarcastically answered no. The only rights that have been taken away are the right to be wrong. And the crowd laughed, but he was making an important point, which is that in a free country, you can't have freedom without the freedom to be wrong. Let's, uh, let's move on to a couple of other tweets, not from somebody with 32 million followers. This one says, Elon now controls Twitter. Unleash, unleash the racial slurs, K-word and N-word. The other one says, I can freely express how much I hate in words now. Thank you, Elon. See, these tweets were taken down, even by Elon Musk's Twitter, and they should have been, because they're hate speech. And they lead to real-world reactions. In fact, in the 12 hours after Elon Musk's acquisition of Twitter, hate speech of all kinds 
spiked on Twitter, including a 500% increase in the use of the N-word. And it's not just online. From 2021, from 2020 to 2021, hate crimes rose almost 44% in major cities. So hate speech online has real impacts in life. And so does election misinformation and propaganda online. And Mr. Taibbi, I've, I've read a lot of your work, I respect some of it, but you've cast a lot of doubt on Russian mis uh, interference in our elections. And today, you have virtually alleged a vast government conspiracy to censor speech. But I can tell you that the not threat to our democracy, I'm not asking you a question. I'll let you know when I do. I'll I can tell you that the threat to our democracy is very real. And it's not just the elections that get all the headlines. In 2018, in a congressional race, two Kremlin-aligned foreign nationals named Lev Parnas and Igor Fruman succeeded in funneling illegal Russian money to a Trump-aligned super PAC that spent $1.3 million to support the Republican candidate. That was my election. My neighbors in East Dallas saw advertisements online, in their mailbox, and on their TV paid with Russian money. That's not my opinion. That's a fact proven in the Southern District of New York. Both Parnas and Fruman were convicted to 21 months and one year respectively for conspiring to make political contributions by a foreign national, along with another of other campaign finance-related violations. We live in an information age where malign actors do want to use social media to influence our elections, both big, the ones that you've spent a lot of time talking about, and small, like mine. Mr. Congressman, and may it should I ask be a, a bipartisan goal. No, you don't get to ask questions here. Okay. It should be a bipartisan goal to ensure that Americans and only Americans determine the outcome of our elections, not fear-mongering. And I think, I hope that you can actually take this with you, because I honestly hope that you will grapple with this. That it may be possible that if we can take off the tinfoil hat, that there's not a vast conspiracy, but that ordinary folks and national security agencies responsible for our security are trying their best to find a way to make sure that our online discourse doesn't get people hurt or see our democracy undermined. And that the very rights that you think they're trying to undermine, they may be trying to protect. I yield back. Gentleman yields back. Gentleman from Kentucky, Mr. Massey is recognized for five minutes. I want to talk about the weaponization of the CDC against the American people. And this overlaps with one of the Twitter files, number 13 by my count, actually by Alex Berenson, not one of our two witnesses, but I would like your comment on it. A week before Christmas 2020, the vaccines came out, the FDA curated the Pfizer trial results, and then the CDC curated the FDA's opinion. The CDC said in their MMWR, which is never peer-reviewed, they're very proud it's not peer-reviewed, they treat it like science, it's not science. They said that the vaccine was 92% efficacious for people who had already had COVID. The Pfizer trial data said no such thing. In fact, it, there was no support for that claim. So I called up the head of the CDC, recorded the conversation, the head in Washington, DC. She said she'd get the top scientists on the line. There was a snowstorm that day, so I was impressed. She got this top scientist on the line. They said I was Eagle Eye Massey. They couldn't believe how that statement had made it into their report and that I was absolutely correct. There was no support for it. 
So uh, I said, how are you going to fix it? You're going to redact it? You're going to change it? What are you going to do? They said, we'll do all of that. I said, great. A month later, it was still on their website. I made some more phone calls. WX, thank you a, for the old sticker on Rumble. Fixer, Dr. Shushat. These are her notes with, uh, of her phone call with me about natural immunity in January when I called him out on it again. These are the entirety of her notes that were obtained uh, in my FOIA from somebody, a third party. Um, I took all of my recordings, released them to Cheryl Atkinson. She, she blew the whistle on this. People, a lot of people have forgotten about it. Uh, here's, here's why I find it interesting, and I'm going to tie it into the Twitter files. And by the way, I told them I was not anti-vax. I said the problem with your story is there's a misallocation of vaccines, which are not available for all the old people in Kentucky, but you got young people in Kentucky taking them because you're telling them on the website, even if you've had COVID, go get it. So that was my complaint. Um, on May 20 or May 10th, 2021, Todd O'Boyle, this name will come up in a Twitter file later. He is the top lobbyist of Twitter's Washington office, who was also Twitter's point of contact in the White House. He encouraged the CDC to enroll in the uh, partner support program. Oh, okay. The CDC is now a partner with Twitter because they're in the partner support program. They, he said, in the future, that's the best way to get a spreadsheet like this reviewed. Now, this is an email from uh, between Todd O'Boyle and, uh, and the folks at CDC. By the way, let me, let me uh, talk to this too. This is, these are more of my conversations with the CDC, completely redacted the subject thereof. Uh, next, next one, please. I also found as a result of the FOIA, CDC tracks every tweet that a congressman puts out. Not just Republican, but Democrat. They keep a spreadsheet, they make it every week. Uh, this showed up in the FOIA for me because I'm in their spreadsheet that they track. Why is this interesting? Okay, so they're tracking congressman's tweets at CDC. They're enrolled in the partner support uh, portal at, You're welcome, uh, at Twitter. And then I found, this is why, um, I found Alex Berenson's report very interesting because uh, what he found out is that Scott Gottlieb worked hard and, and Twitter complied, it looks like, to censor a tweet from a doctor about natural immunity. Guess what? On the same day that that doctor's tweet was censored, so were my tweets on natural immunity. Why is this important? What is, what is consequential about the date? This is three days after the military vaccine mandate came out and a week before the federal vaccine mandates came out, this truth was toxic to, to a narrative kind of that, Pfizer was spreading, that Joe Biden wanted out there so that he could force the vaccine on everybody, whether he had natural immunity or not. Now, I actually, you guys might not agree with me on this. I don't think the press gets special privileges on the first amendment. I think, well, I don't think alive, Congress Shannon. does. I think every American, by virtue of being an American, is, has the right to free speech enshrined in the Constitution. So I'm not so much worried that they they uh, censored a, a congressman, but they disabled all the comments from my constituents. Those are the voices they squelched. And my beef is not with Twitter, but my beef is with the CDC and these federal agencies. And I encourage you all, if you can, to find more about this. And uh, do you have any, either of you have any comments on this topic? Yeah. The gentleman's time expired, but the gentleman may, may, the, the Still had may three respond. seconds. The witnesses may respond. Okay. 
just quickly, we, we found just yesterday a tweet from um, the, the Morality Project, covered on Stanford, the Mooner, Lisa. which was partnered with a, new, a number of government agencies on Twitter, where they talked explicitly about um, censoring stories of true vaccine side effects um, and other true stories that they felt uh, encouraged hesitancy. Now, the important the true. Yeah, so they use the word true three times uh, in this email. And what's what's notable about this is that it reflects the fundamental misunderstanding of this whole disinformation complex, anti-disinformation complex. They believe that ordinary people can't handle uh, difficult truths. And so they think that they need minders to separate out things that are controversial or difficult um, for them. And that's, again, that's totally contrary to what America is all about, I think. I'll just briefly add, this is very disturbing because what they're doing when they're putting these labels on there is they're actually also trying to discredit you. So it's not just, uh, it's a form of censorship, but it's also a, a disinformation campaign. And I think what Matt said is really important to understand. I mean, we went from, you go from a, a situation where we were fighting ISIS recruiting and then it was Russian disinformation. And now they're in a situation where they're wanting to censor true information, accurate facts, because they're worried that people might behave in ways that they don't want them to, that involves mind reading at a level that is grossly inappropriate. I mean, I, I worry even about making this defense because let's remember, the First Amendment protects our right to be wrong. Mm -hmm. It protects our right to lie. I mean, it's bizarre to me that we would need to make a defense of the First Amendment and remind people that we have a right to be wrong. And being wrong, as Matt was explaining, is a big part of being a human being and having a democracy. So this is disturbing. And this guy was a Biden voter. He's a Democrat. right to be outraged by it. There needs to be a full truth and reconciliation that I hope everybody would appreciate um, having on this issue because a lot of bad behavior has come out about what they've done. Thank you. Neil Beck. Good job. Gentlemen's time has expired. We now recognize the gentleman from uh, New York, Mr. Gorman. Actually, excuse me. It's Ms. Ms. Sanchez. Oh, I'm, I'm sorry. And Mr. Chair, since that went over two minutes with them responding, will you give an additional time? There's a question at the Sanchez? end of someone, uh, the customer, if there's a question at the end of someone's five minutes and the witnesses haven't responded, uh, we'll give them time to do that. Many times you Up guys go over minutes. and then don't, we, there's no I question. I understand that, so, but two but minutes. We, okay, that's, thank that's you. That's customary, so we'll, we'll certainly do that. Gentlelady from California is recognized. Excuse me. I'd like to yield my time to Mr. Goldman. Thank you, uh, Ms. Sanchez. Um, Mr. Schellenberger, first, I'd just like to compliment you on your choice of tie today. Um, seems like we were, we're on the same page. Welcome um, to the show, Ms. I would also just like to respond to your last uh, point and just remind everyone that, of course, we all believe in the First Amendment, but the First Amendment applies to government prohibition of speech, not to private companies. Um, I want to talk about your Twitter files, number seven, Mr. Schellenberger. Uh, are you aware that Rudy Giuliani was the sole source of the hard drive obtained by the New York Post? That is my understanding. And are you aware that Rudy Giuliani had been openly cavorting with agents of Russian intelligence throughout 2020? That is also my understanding. Now, this was the same Russian agent who had been feeding information to Senators uh, Johnson and Grassley I might add. Um, but also, are you aware that Rudy Giuliani told the New York Times that he did not want anyone to do an analysis of the hard drive until it was published? I was not aware of that exactly, but... But you don't dispute it? 
I don't dispute it. And you're, are you aware um, that one of the New York Post reporters uh, for the Hunt and Bider story refused to put his byline on the story? Yes. And are you aware that Fox News called the story, quote, very sketchy, unquote? I'm aware that somebody at Fox News said that, yes. Correct. Brett Baer at Fox News said yes. that. Um, and are you aware that the FBI had nothing to do with Twitter's decision to pause the New York Post story? I am not aware of that. Okay, well, let me read you the testimony from Yoel Roth uh, at the hearing we had on February 8th. The FBI, quote, the FBI was quite careful and consistent to request review of the accounts, but not to cross the line into advocating for Twitter to take any particular action. And then Jim Baker said in response to the chairman's question, when he asked, did you talk to the FBI about the Hunter Biden story? He said, to the best of my recollection, I did not talk to the FBI about the Hunter Biden story before that day. In other testimony, Yoel Roth said that the information that he received from the FBI had nothing to do with the Hunter Biden story. Now, are you aware that there was an analysis of the hard drive that was done by the Washington Post at a later date? My awareness is that multiple media organizations have done analyses and found the, including CBS, and found that it was indeed, the laptop was authentic and that nothing had been okay. changed on it. So let's just get something clear. The laptop that the FBI had is different than the hard drive that Rudy Giuliani gave to the New York Post. A hard drive, you agree with this, is a copy uh, from a laptop, right? Yes. And you are aware that hard drives can be altered, are you not? Of course. Okay. So are you aware that the Washington Post analysis of the hard drive showed that it had been altered? I have heard that, but I'm also saying CBS verified. Politico. And other media organizations have verified. I mean, we're not talking, about, authentic really making we're not talking about authenticity. We're not talking about okay. authenticity. We're talking about whether it's been altered. Okay, there's no question there's some material on the hard drive that is authentic and accurate. But are you aware that there's some material that is not? My understanding is that there are copies of the hard drive that have been tampered with and that media organizations, including CBS, have verified that, that the, the, la the laptop in question was not tampered with. I don't know what the laptop in question, but let's yeah. move on. Because you said in your Twitter files, am I correct, that every single fact in the New York Post story was accurate? Yes. Um, do you do you recall that the first paragraph of that post story said that then Vice President Joe Biden pressured Ukraine to fire its prosecutor general because he was investigating Burisma where Hunter Biden was on the board? Yes. I have here, which I'd like to enter into the record, the Trump Ukraine impeachment inquiry report, 300 pages by the House Intelligence Committee. Did you review this report before you said that every fact in this story was accurate? Not objection to the uh, uh, material being entered in the record. I, 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 did I read that before I wrote the Twitter files? No. Yeah. Okay. I'm aware of if you read this, you would have known that every single State Department and Trump administration expert on Ukraine said that Vice President Joe Biden, in, in uh, concert with the European Union and the IMF, was executing official U.S. policy by encouraging Ukraine to fire the prosecutor general because he was not prosecuting corruption and was not prosecuting companies like Burisma. So that story, notwithstanding your allegations, 
was false. And I yield back. Gentleman yields back. Uh, now recognize back. The, the chair now recognizes the gentleman from um, uh, Florida, Mr. Gates, for five minutes. Impeachment nostalgia always warms my heart, but we are here focused on a weaponized government, a whole of government approach that has been turned against the American people. And while Rudy Giuliani may have been running around with the laptop in 2020, what is an indisputable fact is that the FBI had the laptop in 2019. And it appears that the last round of questioning misses the boat, that it's true. The information is authentic. The pictures, the videos, the emails, there hasn't been a single allegation that there is a single, do single doctored email. Unlike what we saw before the FISA courts, where the FBI itself was doctoring emails to try to smear President Trump. But I, I have to get to a, a question I'm amazed hasn't been asked of the two of you. This FTC consent decree, where it is government action subject to rigorous scrutiny under First Amendment standards, government action demanding that your names be listed. How did it feel when you found out that you were being expressly targeted by a government document based on your reporting? It was chilling. I mean, it's disturbing. I, I never thought that would happen in the United States of America. Perfectly honest. I've been in a bunch, I've lived in a bunch of authoritarian countries. I've visited a lot of authoritarian countries. Never thought this kind of thing would be going on here. And the nexus to authoritarianism is the desire to control the nature of truth itself. Our understandings change about things. We learn new things. We challenge prior assumptions. But if a bunch of people in Washington, D.C. get to decide what the truth is and then enforce it on the country and then punish and target those who report on their conduct, we are drifting more toward that. How did you feel, Mr. Tybee, when you saw your name? I was... You know upset, obviously. Um, I, I lived in uh, Russia during the 90s and early 2000s. I was there when Putin took power. I was friends with a group of uh, very brave, uh, muckraking reporters in Russia, many of whom didn't make it. A few of them um, were murdered after Putin came to power. So I've always been conscious of how the risks that other reporters take in other countries are incredibly severe. And that's one of the reasons why I'm motivated to protect the First Amendment, because our, our country has the best protections for reporters in the world. Um, but this kind of thing, where the government is looking for information about reporters, it's usually a canary in the coal mine that something worse is coming in terms of uh, an effort to exercise control over the press. And so on that level, it's, it's absolutely disturbing. Also, the Aspen Institute report that we, we uh, published today, uh, talked about today in the Twitter files thread, um, ex one of their recommendations was that the FTC be empowered uh, to get uh, to have unlimited power to search uh, all data of uh, private companies so that they could more freely and more accurately search uh, the speech of ordinary citizens. So, so as we're trying to put downward pressure on the government's expanding authority to be able to engage in what we see mostly from dictatorships. What you're reporting and what you're observing is that actually they view this as a growth industry, the information business, right? This, this yes. censorship industrial complex is a growth industry to the government. 
I think the key thing also, yes, and the thing to understand is that NSF... Is new, how, what is NewsGuard, and how are they part of the censorship industrial complex? Yeah, and we, by the way, we talked about Richard Stengel. He's on the board of NewsGuard. NewsGuard and the Dis Disinformation Index are both U.S. government-funded entities who are working to drive advertiser revenue away from disfavored publications and towards the ones that they favor. This is... Uh, now, you totally know, what I'm used to in this town is government officials pick their favorite outlets and they give them the best scoops and they give them the best stories. And there's a fusion of media and government that has long made me uncomfortable. What, but what you're describing now is literally the directing of revenue to certain media companies over other media companies designed and implemented with U.S. government funding and support. That's right. That, that is an astonishing, if we do not take a look at NewsGuard, we, we have failed. And you talk about the brave reporting that occurs and what it subjects you to. I would suggest there's also political bravery that I have observed. While we've only heard from Democrats on this panel attacking you, discrediting you, a lot like they've tried to attack and discredit FBI whistleblowers who are truth tellers, there are brave Democrats who still believe in free speech. And I would advise my colleagues to look at the comments of Ro Khanna, who has been deeply, deeply concerned about this weaponization of government. And he believes these Twitter files are indeed worthy of our focus and our energy. And that is exactly what we are going to do. I yield back. I think the gentleman would now recognize the gentlelady from uh, New York. I, I, I still have my five minutes, Mr. Chairman. Oh, that's right. I forgot. Uh, I understand why you may not Mr. Mr. Because uh, you were yielded five. The gentleman from New York is recognized for five minutes. Thank Excuse you. me. Mr. Schellenberger, I may have misheard earlier, but is it your testimony here today that you disagree with the two indictments by special counsel Robert Mueller that definitively established that Russia interfered in our 2016 election through social media disinformation and a hack and leak operation? No, I don't disagree. Okay. Mr. Taibbi, do you disagree with those two indictments? Well, and... I don't, indictments aren't a thing to disagree Do you disagree? There are about 40 or 50 pages. Do you disagree with the evidence outlined in those indictments? Well, uh, indictments are just charges. When, when, when I just the, asked you, do you disagree with the evidence included in those indictments? Yes or no? I'm not on the jury of that case. I couldn't possibly say yes or no. Okay, because you said earlier, I believe, that you did not see Russia, you, you could not confirm that Russia interfered in our election in 2016, that you don't believe that. Is that your testimony here today? You don't believe that they did? I think it's possible that they, they may have on a small scale, but certainly not to what's been reported. What's been reported or what's been included in the indictments? Well, again, indictments are allegations. They're not proof. And I understand in, in, it's in, pretty in, detailed allegations. In the so Mueller indictment, should, by the way. You should go read the indictment and then come back and tell us if you actually think there's no proof of it. Well, but let me move on. Some, some of those let me move on, please. By the way, when please, let me move on. That's how this works. You should know that by now. So do you disagree with the special counsel Mueller's conclusion in his report Mr. Taibbi, that the Trump campaign knew about Russia's interference, they welcomed it, and they used it for their benefit. You have no reason to disagree with that, don't you? You have okay. no information. So after that foreign interference in our 2016 election, Twitter and other social media companies naturally wanted to work with the intelligence community to stop Vladimir Putin from interfering in our elections again. Mr. Taibbi, do you think it's a legitimate pursuit of the FBI to try to stop foreign interference in our elections? 
Again, sir, will I be allowed to answer this question or, or? It's a yes or no question. Do you think it's a legitimate pursuit of the FBI? It's not a yes or no answer. No, 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 no. I'm not asking how. I'm saying as an objective, do you think it's a legitimate objective of the FBI to stop foreign interference in our elections? I think it's a legitimate objective to stop actual foreign interference. Okay. I mean, I don't know what the difference is, but that's fine. Well, so since Russia used social media disinformation, according to Special Counsel Mueller, I understand you may disagree with the uh, allegations to interfere in our 2016 elections. Are you trying to say that the FBI had no basis to inform social media companies about efforts to potentially interfere in our in our elections after 2016. I can tell you that I, that I read internal Twitter emails where Twitter expressly talked about the fact that the FBI couldn't possibly know more than they did about whether or not there was Russian interference and that in fact even they couldn't determine which accounts were actually IRA and which ones weren't. Okay. I, I understand you like to filibuster that was not an answer to my question uh, but I'll move on. Um, Mr. Schellenberger, in all of the emails that you reviewed, did the FBI ever direct Twitter to take down any accounts or remove any posts? Yes. They directed Twitter to, to remove them, or they said these may violate your terms and services? Yes. I think that's, a, Which? I think that's an accurate use of the word direct. They said these may, these yeah. may violate... You think that the same saying that yes, these may violate your terms and conditions is the same as directing them to take an account down? Yeah, I mean, I think if a police officer says, "All right, well, uh, that's, you broke that, the, that, you broke that's the very law. helpful. That's very helpful. I'm I'm glad to know that you think yeah. flagging something for a private company to make a decision about what they should do is a direction. Now, Mr. Chairman. Yeah, you have repeatedly said that this committee is all about protecting the First Amendment. Mm -hmm. And what's unfortunate here is that we are talking about Twitter and that we are not talking about Republican government officials around the country who are banning books. And we are not talking about with the Donald gentleman you No, I will not. And we are not talking about Donald Trump jailing his former counsel to prohibit him from publishing a book that the president did not want. The former president literally jailed his enemy. And we're here talking about Twitter. Twitter. And even with Twitter, you cannot find actual evidence of any direct government censorship of any lawful speech. And when I say lawful, I mean non-criminal speech because Plenty I'll of give you speech one. is non-criminal. I'll give you one. Gentlemen's time to expire. I'd ask unanimous consent to enter into the record the following email from Clark Humphrey, Executive Office of the Presidency, White House Office, January 23rd, 2021. That's the Biden administration, 4.39 a.m. Hey, folks. This goes to um, Twitter. Hey, folks. Wanted to use the term Mr. Mr. He used, they used the term Mr. Mr. Goldman just used wanted to flag the below tweet and I'm wondering if we can get moving on the process for having it removed ASAP. Boom. That is... Could you read the below tweet? And then if we can keep an eye out for tweets that fall in this same genre, uh, genre that would be great. 
This is a tweet on ve the very issue that Mac uh, Thomas uh, can Mr. you Massey just brought. for I the fullness of the record? Can you re re uh, read the? Because I've not seen this. Can you read the tweet that it's referencing? I don't have the tweet here with me, but the oh, gentleman's shocking. point was: tell us. You said no time did government try to tell uh, Twitter to take that to explicitly remove something. And no, I said it explicitly says, remove lawful speech. Lawful speech. We're going to conflate. The First Amendment does not is not absolute. Twitter. This is something from Robert Kennedy Jr. But. For so the record, I, I assume that's lawful speech. As a point speech. of order, Mr. Chair. Because if Robert you, Kennedy Jr. Minute, said it, that's why it's lawful speech. Well, I'll, I'll minute, we'll get the Mr. tweet Goldman. for it. Mr. All I'm Mr. saying Mr. is you Chair? said no, at no time did the government explicitly say to take a tweet down. Here we have it right here. Mr. From the Chair? White House. They, they, did, they couldn't even wait two days. Two days into this administration, they were asked Twitter to Mr. take something Chair? down. And we will get you the underlying tweet. Thank With you. With that, I recognize the gentlelady from New if, York. If, will you place it into the record as well, sir? The underlying tweet? Robert Kennedy Jr. Uh, is talking about uh, he's talking about Hank Aaron's death after he received the vaccine. That's what the tweet's about. We'll get we'll get you a copy. Thank you. Um, Chairman, I think I, that's I think and Chairman, I, I would I would say one I thing. That's, unanimous that's certainly lawful. Mr. Speech. Chairman, I ask unanimous consent to enter the tweet that you referenced into the record of the committee. With, without objection, we'll enter that into the record along with the statement from the White House, the Biden White House, two days into the administration when they're directly attacking people's First Amendment liberties. With that, I recognize the gentlelady from New York for five minutes. I want to yield to Mr. Johnson. Thank you. Just to point out quickly that Mr. Goldman is proving himself to be a master of obfuscation. He said, the First Amendment applies to government censorship of speech and not private companies. But what we're talking about and what the chairman just illustrated is that what we have here and what your Twitter files show is the federal government has partnered with private companies to censor and silence the speech of American citizens. I yield back to the gentlelady. I just came from a, an open hearing with FBI Director Chris Wray, and he said under oath that no one from the FBI communicated with Twitter regarding the Hunter Biden laptop story. Based upon both of your courageous reporting, can you address that? I mean, we we saw, I mean, like I said, we, we, don't, we don't know. I mean, so at this point, we just have to take his word on it. But what we saw was a huge amount of FBI uh, communications to Twitter. We saw the former deputy chief of staff, the former general counsel showing up at Twitter right at the critical period. So I find a lot of suspicious activity. I would like to, I would like to, I would like to ask him a bunch of questions about that because I find it very suspicious and unresolved. Mr. Taibbi, do you have comments on that? We do know that there was a teleporter communication that had 10 documents in it uh, just before the story broke, but um, we don't know what those documents were, and so we can't suppose. Well, I don't take his word for it. We have lots of examples where uh, it has not been, uh, they have not been accurate from that particular agency when it comes to testifying before Congress. So it is our job in this committee to get to the truth, to sign sunlight and transparency for the American people. Uh, I want to ask you both about the Aspen Digital Hack and Dump Working Group, which involved an 11-day scenario in October 2020 that began with the imaginary release of falsified records, that's what they claim, related to Hunter Biden's controversial employment by the Ukrainian energy company Burisma. This was if they knew, because they, they did know. So I would like your comments, Mr. Schellenberg, these were the files that you did extensive reporting on about how concerning this is and how this is truly the definition of the weaponization against free speech and suppressing accurate reporting. Yeah, so there's actually two things, and one of them we just discovered recently, which is that there was a Stanford uh, Cyber Policy Institute report, which said that, which was 
in menacing terms, telling journalists that they should abandon the Pentagon principle. Again, this is the, the Pentagon Papers principle. This is the idea that if, if Daniel Ellsberg brings you materials he's taken from the Pentagon about how the war in Vietnam is going, the New York Times and Washington Post published those. That was considered one of the greatest moments of American journalism. Here you have Stanford Cyber Policy Center saying, you should abandon that principle. You should instead make the issue about, you know, frankly, the theories about where it might have come from. Then you had this, then you had the Aspen workshop, which was attended, by the way, by New York Times, CNN, Washington Post, Wikipedia, Facebook, Twitter, many other journalists, where they basically, you read it, it's like a kind of programming of the journalists that they should not follow this long-standing journalistic principle of taking materials from a hack and leak or any other situation and take them seriously. So, I mean, you read this and it feels like a kind of brainwashing exercise that Aspen Institute and Stanford were, were, were running against American journalists Mr. and the Taibbi. social media companies. Mr. Taibbi, comments? Yes, um, I think, you know, there, there were a couple of moments in the Twitter files that really speak to a, a kind of larger problem. In the first Twitter files, we saw an exchange between Representative uh, Rohana and uh, Vijaya God, uh, where he's trying to explain the basics of speech law uh, in, in America. And she's completely, she seems completely unaware of what, for instance, New York Times v. Sullivan is. Uh, there are other cases like Bartnicki v. Vopper, which legalize uh, the publication of stolen material. That's very important for any journalist to know. I think most of these people are tech executives and they don't know what the law is around uh, speech and around reporting. And in this case, and in 2016, you were dealing with true material. There is no basis to restrict the publication of true material, no matter who the source is uh, and how you get it. Um, and journalists have always understood that. Uh, and this has never been an issue or a controversial issue uh, until very recently. And by the way, just one quick thing I'll add, that's the exact same strategy of the malinformation misleading. In other words, they were saying, they were saying even if the material you think is true, it could lead people to have conclusions that we don't want them to have. And therefore you should change your journalism because of that. So this is, uh, we're so far down the slippery slope, you know, you've crashed at that point. I mean, it's, um, it's a disturbing trend in journalism, in social media, and in the relationship from the intelligence community to these organizations. How have you been targeted since the publication of the Twitter files? Generally, the time expired, we'll give a quick answer if we can. I mean, I, I, it, again, and I've known journalists who've suffered real brutal harms in my career, so they've said a lot of nasty things about me on Twitter, but um, it, it hasn't been so bad, uh, I would say. The FTC thing is, is the, the only thing that's legitimately concerning, and that's not really for my sake. It's, it's more because it's a general problem for journalists everywhere. I've been censored on Facebook since the year 2020 for writing accurate information in an article that went viral. I remain censored. They continue to flag warnings on posts that I write that have nothing to do with the environment. And uh, there, we now know that one of the U.S. government-funded organizations has put out a report that specifically targets me and, and, and presents disinformation about my own position on climate change. And so I've got a lot at stake here. Yield back. Mr. Chair, may I ask unanimous consent 
um, to enter into the record or letter dated June 25th, 2020, to Mark Zuckerberg from Chad Wolf, the Acting Secretary of Homeland Security, in which he asked Twitter, asked Facebook to keep Americans safe by taking appropriate action consistent with your terms of service against content that promotes, incites, or assists the commission of eminent illegal activities. Those committed to protecting free exchange of ideas should not turn a blind eye to illegal activity and violence fermenting in your platform. This is after the summer in which Black Lives Matter protests took place. Without objection, gentlelady from Florida is recognized for five minutes. Thank you, Mr. Chairman. Thank you to our witnesses for appearing here today. I know it doesn't feel exactly warm and fuzzy. See you later, brainstorm. <laughs> I think what you guys are doing is very important. We're here to discuss the weaponization of government. And uh, I want to follow up on my colleague, Representative Massey's comments on the CDC. Up on the screen, you can see a email from October of 2020. This is from then NIH Director Francis Collins to Dr. Anthony Fauci. It goes on in to say this proposal, talking about the Great Barrington Declaration, is from three fringe epidemiologists who met with the secretary, and it seems to be getting a lot of attention, even a signature, a co-signature from a Nobel Prize winner. Key line in here that I would like to point out, there needs to be a quote, quick and devastating published takedown of its premises. I don't see anything like that online yet. Is it underway? Signed, Francis. Now, what I find interesting is if you fast forward into June of 2021, the Biden administration was raging at social media companies. There is communications that we can produce for the record that state we would like you to combat quote unquote misinformation. Now, we, thanks to the Twitter files, know that Twitter executives were using the term visibility filtering, and that really to the rest of the American general public was shadow banning, correct? Yes. Yeah. Okay. So all of a sudden, we saw a rash of blacklists created by Twitter at the highest levels that were taking down some of the signatories and creators of this very Barrington Declaration, correct? This is to both of you. I haven't seen that, but I She's haven't very seen good. it either. So would you agree that there was a blacklist created oh. in 2021? Sorry, yes, Jay Bhattacharya, the yes. Stanford professor who I don't think anybody considers a fringe epidemiologist was indeed, I'm sorry, I couldn't, I didn't piece it together. He's, he was indeed um, visibility work. filtered. Correct. And so this blacklist that was created that really was used to uh, deplatform, uh, reduce visibility, yes. um, create lists internally where people couldn't even see their profiles. That was used against doctors and scientists who produced information that was contrary to what the CDC was putting out, despite the fact that we now know that what they were publishing had scientific basis and in fact was valid. Absolutely. And not only that, but these are secret blacklists. So Professor Bhattacharya had no idea he was on it. I mean, this is East Germany Stasi kind of behavior. That's what this is. And um, the Great Barrington Declaration, by the way, I was skeptical of it at the time, but it actually now uh, looks pretty good in terms of how the response to COVID. 
But even if it was totally wrong, it still deserved, I mean, this is the whole point of the First Amendment, is that Absolutely. I think we all have the experience of you're not right until you're wrong a lot. You know, you actually have to have that debate and that conversation. So by repressing that, we actually stifled, I think, a much broader conversation we could have had about how to effectively respond to COVID because they were secretly blacklisting people like Jay Bhattacharya. And I think to the bigger point that Americans are concerned about when it comes to the weaponization of government, this isn't Republican or Democrat issue. This is an American issue. You had individuals, millions of Americans, who in many cases were being mandated to take an experimental vaccine. And when those that wanted to consider taking it were trying to make an informed decision, you had opinions that were being silenced because it didn't fit a specific narrative pushed by the Biden administration, correct? Absolutely correct. And that's why we use the language of disfavored ideas and disfavored people, because it doesn't fall neatly among left and right lines. If there's anything going on here, it tends to be a more of a disproportionate blacklisting of, of more populist voices um, or just ideas that we would consider slightly outside of um, the Overton window, the mainstream opinion at the time. But the Overton window moves. And so right. the idea that you're just going to narrow the entire what's acceptable on social media to what is mainstream at the time would basically freeze us and not allow the society to progress and to, for knowledge to grow and with the democracy to function. With the 14 seconds that I have left, Mr. Taibbi, if you'd like to weigh in on any of this that we have talked about and why this is a direct threat to Americans today. I would appreciate it. Just quickly, again, we yesterday discovered the, this email talking about the suppression of people telling their own stories of uh, stories of true vaccine side effects. So these are people who are telling about their own experiences, things that are hap that happened to them that are true, and they're being suppressed because what anti disinformation does is the opposite of what the press does. They are aiming for what the narrative is, and they already know in advance what they're looking for. Whereas a journalist goes into a story, does not know what the truth is. We often find that the thing we expect to find turns out to be completely different. They know in advance what they're looking for. And that's why this is so dangerous. My time has expired. I yield back. Thank you too. Uh, the gentlelady yields back. I want to thank, um, I want to thank our witnesses for, um, for being here today. And, um, you know, I think maybe if we can get this right and stop this, and, and whatever it, what legislation, appropriation, whatever it takes, we can stop this. I think there, in the future, people will look back and, and look at your courage as people in journalism, in the press, to come here with what you've been facing, what you've had to endure, and now with the idea that the FTC is coming after you. Hit the like button. Um, hit the rumble button. I love your faces. That's that's something that I think is pretty darn important and, and certainly noteworthy. So we appreciate you sitting here for two and a half hours. Uh, taking the questions you did, but giving so much valuable information to this committee, who is certainly on our side, committed to protecting the First Amendment and people's right to speak. So that concludes today's hearing. Again, we thank you both for being here. Without objection, all members will have five legislative days to submit additional written questions for the witnesses or additional materials for the record. Without objection, the hearing is adjourned. I'm muted on for crying out loud, you guys. Here I was on this whole spiel. Hello, 
Thank you guys again so much for being here, hanging out for us for three hours. For those of you on TikTok, this is we streamed this live on Rumble. It will be available for you to watch later if you want to. Um, for those listening after the live on the podcast stations, thank you so much. I appreciate your support. It is important to watch these things real time because it does really show you how your representatives behave in context. And I think a lot of people like, you know, in media does, I do it. We all do it, right? We take clips and then we use them for our videos and we use them for our tweets. Um, and a lot of times it's really hard to different, differentiate what actually happened. And so I'm trying to get more in the habit of sitting here watching these happen real time. And it is kind of surprising to see how some of these representatives act um, in real time. And it does kind of change my opinion on, on it's mostly that, and I'm not coming, this isn't a Democrat and Republican thing, but all of these that we've watched when the Democrats were in charge versus when the GOP was in charge, it was always seemed to be the democratic side, the, the one speaking for the Democrats that were rude and interrupting. And it didn't matter if the argument was for or against them. Um, it just, it always seemed to be off putting. Some of the GOP members have done it too, but it is greatly, vastly the left, like the other side of things, the people that that represent the Democrats. And I don't know why that is really, other than it seems like one side really has to follow an agenda versus another side maybe doesn't so much. I don't know. Um, maybe we'll get it figured out. Maybe not. Today's live is, this is it. This is it until next Tuesday on the Nooner. On the Nooner next Tuesday, I have a list already started. We're going to talk about... Um, What's his name? He fell down last night. Help me. Oh my God. I can't even think. Mitch McConnell. So Mitch McConnell took a spill at a hotel restaurant last night and fell down. And apparently he fell down hard enough to where he's going to be admitted to the hospital and has been admitted to the hospital. As of I've heard right now, he has not been released. Uh, it'll be interesting to see if he comes out in a boot. If you know, you know, if you don't go to Twitter, look up the boot club Follow me first, just at Shipwreck Show, and then look up the boot club, and then go from there. And it will kind of highlight what that is. Um, so it'll be interesting to see if it come out. We'll cover um, some other things. Tucker came out. It doesn't sound like they're going to be releasing any more footage. We can talk a little bit more about J6. Uh, but I've got state basketball all weekend this weekend. And so we will not have a live with Shannon. I won't have a live tomorrow or Sunday. It'll be the nooner on Tuesday. Otherwise, if something really big or cool happens... It'll be an impromptu at a random time, so make sure that you subscribe so you get some of your notifications. For those on Rumble, same thing. For those on TikTok, I'll try and go live here as often as I can. My internet down here for my phone doesn't work the greatest, and so that's why I don't do it horribly often. Um, <clears throat> but that's going to be our next our next live stream in regards to all of this. But I want to thank you guys for hanging out with me. Thank you for all of your support. Thank you for the super stickers and the super stickers here and the super stickers on Rumble and helping us keep the lights on. I love your faces. That's it. We will see you next week. Keep her moving. Take it easy. Tell your mom I says hi and watch out for deer. Bye, guys. Back off, I'll take you on. Headstrong, you take on anyone. I know that you are wrong. You're headstrong. You're headstrong. <laughs> You are wrong. You're hedged wrong. You're hedged wrong.